0: as always with Eric and Cobran. And today we have uh, another special guest. Lauren, how are you?
1: I'm doing good, how are you?
0: Dandy, thank you, yeah. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'll start just with a quick synopsis of your childhood. Oh. All
1: right, um, the earliest I can really remember or recall is uh, I was about four or five years old. I lived in North Pole with my dad in a 6,200 square foot home.
2: That's huge.
1: With uh, more than 20 foster brothers that were coming in and out of the home at a time.
2: Wow. Um, That's a unique.
1: A very unique upbringing. situation. Yeah. yeah. Wow. My dad was a single parent, so he wasn't able to foster any girls. So I was the only girl surrounded by a lot of adolescent boys. Mm. Um, not a very good combination for a young no. girl. No. My dad always took in the misfits, the ones that had problems going in and out of jail, um, running from the law, had a lot of drug or alcohol issues. So I was surrounded by a lot of chaos um, in my childhood. I ended up getting taken away by the state when I was six and a half for um, child endangerment and uh, um, being sodomized. My neighbor was... um, How do I say, he was uh, peeping (laughs) Tommy from across the road with a microscope and saw what was going on in the house and called OCS. So I was taken by the state. I um, was transferred through foster home to foster home for like 11 and a half months. At that point in time, uh, the state would not let me have any contact with any family. Um, My grandparents had no idea of my whereabouts um, Anytime my family found my whereabouts, the state would relocate me. Uh, It wasn't until one day that I was placed with this one foster family, this elder native woman. She had like nine biological children, all boys. And she was just one of those foster parents that was in it for the money. Um, She gave me a little hammock in front of her broken living room window um, in the winter. Didn't help me with any of my homework. Only her oldest son did. And um, her oldest son actually put a sleeping aid in her drink one night. And she passed out at the kitchen table. She'd always lock up her stuff, her purse, her cell phone, all that stuff, even the house phone in her room with a deadbolt on the door. So she passed out at the table, I grabbed the phone, called my grandparents, my grandpa came, kicked the door in the next day. And I lived in my grandparents' basement for the next three years.
2: And were you kind of like in hiding from the state at this point? Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, For about a year and a half, I was in hiding. And then um, my grandma, she was homeschooling me, fighting the state. It wasn't until, like my grandma and grandpa, they literally liquidated all their assets. They made it new, sold it off piece by piece, renovated their entire house, all their properties, their boats, their cars, everything to try and get me back out of state's grasp. And when they finally won custody of me, my grandparents sold their house, sold everything, and moved to Nanilchik down here When I, by the time I was 10. Um, so I lived with my grandparents. They, um, We lived in a fifth wheel here, like five miles from Nanilchik. Uh, they started building a house, and my grandparents would send me to and from school. They lived across the street from their the man that was there, my grandpa's best man, lived right across the street from them. So he had a vehicle and was able to take me to and from. So he helped me and my grandparents quite a bit. And um, yeah, pretty much lived with my grandparents for a while. My dad was not allowed to have contact with me for the first couple years. Um, the state told him that he had to relinquish his foster care license at that point in time if he wanted to ever have contact again Uh, so my dad gave that up came down one summer for fishing and um, the big house in North Pole caught on fire burnt down my uncles they were always in and out of jails dating prostitutes uh, smoking crack or um, very abusive, ran away from their relationships, uh, left their kids and stuff like that. So my grandma and grandpa would take them in under their roof. Basically they'd live off grandma and grandpa for a long time. And I started school in Ilchik for a long time. I, it wasn't until about the sixth grade when I really started getting introduced to alcohol. I was babysitting for a friend Uh, her cousins, she was moving out of state and she was babysitting her cousin's kids while they worked. When she moved out of state I took over and it was her cousin's husband that started sexually assaulting me when I would get drunk or passed out and that's when I really started to, um, drink that much harder. Uh. So you're in the sixth grade
0: at this time?
1: Yeah. Um, So I started a really big drinking career back in the sixth grade. It wasn't until about the eighth grade um, I was introduced to pot. A friend introduced me to pot to try and slow down on my drinking because I was drinking up to two-fifths a day. And uh, so she would just get me completely stoned and to where I would just either become comatose or just pass out. Um, so I wouldn't drink, and that kind of took over from there. Um, after there was one night where I went home, and I was drinking with my brother. I got so drunk I told him what happened, or what had been happening for the last couple years. Because these girls that I was babysitting were like two, three, and five, I think, and. It would have been really devastating for anything like that to happen to those girls.
2: Yeah. Um, and because their dad or stepdad, whatever, um, would he he would intentionally get you drunk in order to do th- sexual things?
1: Uh, later on down the road, yeah. Yeah. Because I started smoking pot more often, so I wasn't drinking as much. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I went home, told my brother, my brother went to my dad, told my dad, and then uh, one day my dad just, like, was pissed off, came up to me and was like, hey, we're leaving, we're going into town, and he wouldn't tell me why. We just all loaded up in the truck, and then next thing I know, we're pulling into the trooper station, and I'm, like, being forced to tell my story. To the state troopers, and uh, they didn't believe me. Until a few years, quite a few years later, till I was, like, 13, when four other people came forward about his actions. And, sadly to say, all three of his daughters and his sister were the ones to come forward. So.
2: I mean, that had to have been devastating. I mean, you go in and you have to tell something that's just, like, extremely vulnerable. Place, yeah. And yeah. you're said sorry don't really believe you.
1: Yeah. Wow um,
2: and sadly that's not an uncommon thing I don't think. No for women it, to actually not it's not. I mean it's fairly common I think. Yep. And I think that's really tragic.
1: Yeah it was uh, was a little hard to take when I was 13 years old. Yeah. Um, wasn't really a whole lot I could do about it. Um, after that moment in time I really started I started drinking again, kind of put down the pot and um, I didn't really care to be at home very much. There were these uh, these particular foster boys that my dad always would just stay in contact with and one of them was a bad apple out of the bunch. The rest were completely fine. They were just like my older brothers except that just one bad apple just always wanted to mess with me, whether I was sleeping in bed or playing nice or Yeah, he just, I don't know. So my dad just, I don't know, for whatever reason, really loved these particular foster boys, loved taking care of them more so as his children than myself. Um, Me being the only girl growing up, I told my dad I deserved to have the master bedroom in the house. Being the only female, I deserved to have my own bathroom. I'm not going to clean up after all these boys. So... I moved back in with my dad when he was finishing his house in the Nilchick right across the street from my grandparents. Um, so, of course, my dad gives me the master bedroom. Um, he starts moving in foster boys again. At that point in time, i he's not fostering because he gave that up, but he still stayed in contact yeah. with those particular kind of same, ones. Yeah, yeah, kind of the same Might thing. Well. Right, yeah. right. So at that point in time, <clears throat> I was meeting a bunch of, I don't know, older, much older, um, people that love to throw parties and stuff. Um, I started hanging out with my next door neighbors that I got a puppy from when I was like nine. They always drank, partied, smoked pot. I was over there constantly. I was more interested in not being at home, but they were more interested in not getting caught with me at their home (laughs) (laughs) partying. So, um, They taught me how to drink so I could go out to parties and not be taken advantage of. And so I started partying a lot at that point in time. And one night we went back to their house and some random dude comes out. They had this little itty bitty like shack that had a little twin bed, a little kitchen and everything just built for like one person. So they would let me sleep in that while they stayed in their big house. Well, this dude comes over, mm. and he's just completely smashed. He comes into the little cabin, crawls up to the little loft bed, starts taking his clothes off, <laughs> and he's in his, um, what are those? Those uh, those red pajamas, like thermals. Uh, yeah. like. With a butt flap, yeah. Yeah. I was like, are you serious? What are you doing? So I just, like, turned sideways in the bed, give him both feet right off the edge. (laughs) And uh, he falls, and he gets back up, and this is actually the dude that ended up introducing me to crystal meth, like, uh, about nine months later. So I started doing crystal meth, partying, and all that, and one thing that uh, intrigued me with the meth was... I didn't have to go to sleep. So it was like I could go home, not worry about going to sleep, being taken advantage of. There was just like an end to that terror.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And so um. I spent a lot of time being high or drunk just completely out of my reality.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so the times that I did spend home, I just spent usually pretty messed up. Other times, I would just stay out at friends' houses as often as I could Um, in between school. I'd bring uh, big coffee cups to school filled half with booze. I'd get in trouble for pot on school grounds. Um, There were a couple times where I literally walked out of the school because I was so high, frustrated, and um, couldn't get my next drink didn't have time in between classes and didn't want to do what a teacher told me so i just walk out another thing that happened when i was about 13 14 years old my dad um, my grandparents took me to school and my dad was uh, trying to finish the house the outside of it putting on siding in the middle of winter and i woke up that morning with a bad feeling like something terrible was going to happen so i did everything i could possibly could hold the thermometer up to a light jump up and down, get, you know, get all sweaty, just look absolutely my worst, and it did not work. <laughs> my grandparents still dragged me to school. Uh, by lunchtime, um, I kept trying to call the house. Nobody was answering the house phone, and as soon as the bell rang and class started, I'm in class and the principal calls me over the intercom saying that there's an emergency and I need to grab my things and leave the school immediately. So I go downstairs to the office, and my grandma's out there crying. And she's like, "Uh, Your dad's been in a terrible accident. You need to grab your things, and we need to go right now. Your dad's being medevaced to Anchorage. So I, there was, my grandma only had like this little itty bitty white two door truck, and she's too old to drive, starting to go blind. So she has her youngest son, my uncle, driving. So I climb into the bed of the truck with my school gear, and I'm just laying down.
2: middle of winter.
1: In the middle of winter, and they haul all the way up to Soldana, And we make it to the hospital, and I get to see Dad for maybe, like, two seconds as they're rushing him from the ER to the helicopter. And that's, like, the last time I saw him for three weeks. Um, at that point in time... Um, my dad was having more windows shipped to the house and they were getting ready to be installed. So it wasn't completely enclosed yet. Uh, and I had my, my brother, my middle oldest brother live in there with me and he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy when he was born. Um, he got stuck. So like his arm and his leg were ripped out of socket at birth so he had a lot of um physical and mental disabilities uh he was diagnosed to have a um mentality of a 13 year old for the rest of his life um so i'm 13s and i'm at home with my brother who's mentally and physically disabled can't take care of himself lives on ssi and my dad is in a coma up in anchorage for four and a half months My grandparents are living across the way. And it wasn't until, like, the first two weeks with my dad being gone in a coma were complete hell. My grandma, she was, I don't know what her problem was, but she was doing everything in her power to try to, like, take and liquidate all of my dad's assets. Everything. Gain control of me and then just make as much money off the situation as she could. And I got pretty pissed off and tired of it, so I hitched a ride into town with one of my meth buddies and went to the courthouse and I started filing paperwork. And me being a minor, I went in front of a judge of sound mind and asked for power of attorney over my dad's finances and legalities um, until he was better and I was able to prove that my grandma was being old and senile in age and cannot take care of any of these things, Um, especially not my brother, since my brother solely relied on my father for um, being taken care of. So I was uh, warded that and so I used my dad's finances to finish getting the house fixed and prepared for the final set in of winter. Um, took care of my brother, made breakfast, lunch, dinner, around the clock, went to school, came home from school, did the same thing. My brother was a severe alcoholic. Um, he hated his life and his disabilities so he was just a really big alcoholic. And um, so about four and a half months later, my dad... I know you
0: said your brother has the mentality of a 13-year-old, but how old is he at this point? Uh,
1: he was 10 years older than me at that time, so he was about 23, 24. Um, he passed away uh, at 28. Okay. Mm-hmm. He um, yeah. He ended up having a grand mal seizure. Um, So he went to jail for uh, drinking and driving on his four-wheeler. Went to jail for three years here at Wildwood. Uh, I went and picked him up, and uh, he died 13 months later in his bedroom, had a seizure, and uh, tripped over the cat and food dish. I I got him a cat because he had some severe PTSD from being in jail, had some uh, major depression issues, so I got him a cat. take care of make him feel better about himself give him something to do something constructive and he uh, tripped over the cat and food dish trying to feed the cat and during his seizure his neck caught on the footboard of the bed and crushed his larynx and um, that morning i stayed up all night that night tweaking in my bedroom and i tried seeing if he wanted to smoke a bowl of weed with me before going to bed and all night long just the same song kept playing over and over and over and over again really loud and I figured maybe he just passed out drunk or something but he had sworn off alcohol the day he got out of jail he kept saying he's a different person he doesn't want to go that route again he wants to be sober and just be with family so I figured maybe he had a relapse um and not once did I go and check on him
0: how old are you at this point now
1: like 18
2: or right? 18. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, he was 28. Yep. So you were 18.
1: And, um, gosh, at that point in time, um, I had a son uh, in that time while he was in jail. And, uh, gosh, my son must have been like nine, ten months old or something um, when I found Teddy dead in his room. The very next morning, I was supposed to pick him up or get him ready. I went downstairs to make breakfast and everything, and my dad was like, hey, go upstairs, get your brother ready, you guys got to go, because I was going to take him to see his PO, his first meeting after jail. And, uh, I go to the bedroom, and I just, I open the door, and I find him dead in there. Um, turned out that he had been in there for about nine hours. Uh, and... So after that, that just like completely freaked me out. Um, somehow like the the whole attitude and everything of the house just kind of changed like the whole aura of it. Like the house just didn't seem warm and welcoming to me anymore. Um, I called some relatives in Fairbanks and told them what had happened and told them I needed to get out of there. I didn't not, I couldn't sleep in that house. Um, I was too afraid to fall asleep. So I'd call my next-door neighbor's uh, grandson to come over and sit up and stay with me and just watch me till I fall asleep and he'd go home. Well finally uh, one of my relatives three days later bought me a plane ticket to go to Fairbanks and um, I brought my son with me and I stayed there for about three weeks. Um, I planned on moving there, so they bought me a plane ticket to come back here. And I ended up not going back. Um, ended up getting caught up in the party crowd.
2: In Fairbanks?
1: When I came back here. Oh,
2: okay.
1: Um, I spent most of my time, I ended up going back to Fairbanks like three months later um, to throw my brother's funeral. So. My dad didn't really care to set up anything for my brother or his funeral or anything like that. Um, so I ended up going and getting a job, saving up money to help pay for the cremation and everything. I ended up coming up short.
0: And are you using through all this? Yes, yeah, meth still mostly. Yep,
1: yeah. I'm drinking. I'm um, methed out and I'm selling on the side on top of working, saving up money and my dad ended up stealing some of the money to pay for whatever the foster boys wanted at that point in time. Um, I was really upset, so I packed up my stuff, my son's belongings, moved out to a friend's house, started saving up money again, filed um, with the state for compensation of having my brother's funeral expenses paid for. Uh, The state granted it, And the only thing I had to pay for was a place uh, where I wanted it done. Um, I had to pick the crematory and save up the gas to travel all the way to Anchorage, pick up his ashes, and then go to Fairbanks from there. So uh, I was in Fairbanks for about one week. It took me seven days. My brother, um, he loved race car driving. So he was always in a stock car pit when I was younger. So there's this federation called the uh, GFRA, it's the Greater Racing Association of Fairbanks. Um, They have a big, huge racetrack there called Mitchelson Raceway, and my brother used to do stock car there before he was diagnosed with grand mal seizures and was sent to being only in the stock pit, helping change tires, fuel up and all that. So. Knowing that that was one of my brother's favorite things in the world, he'd always make um, like plastic classic car models and stuff, you know, little art projects here and there. So I spent a week um, being underage bar hopping, looking for the people known to be the presidents of the GFRA in Fairbanks. And out of all the bars, the very last one I stopped at, I happened to find them and I asked them if they would be willing to open up and reserve the raceway for my brother's funeral and they said yeah I offered them a lump sum of cash to make this possible and they said that they remembered my brother he was really good in their crew and that they would just do it for free of service the only thing that they ask is um, I give them some kind of recognition you know Um, let, let the world know what's happening So I printed, had it printed in the newspapers that we were going to be throwing my brother's service at the raceway. And when we held it, I got to drop his ashes all around the racetrack. All the family members and our entire family got to sit on the bleachers, smoke pot, drink beer, whatever. And everybody who had a vehicle that wanted to race was able to go (laughs) on the racetrack. And we did 38 laps in honor of his birthday and all that. Uh, After the funeral, I got a phone call from my mom. Um, This was probably the very last phone call I got from her, uh, being of sound mind, um, since she was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, Pleased my mom to know that, you know, I kind of jumped on the role of taking care of my brother's remains and all that. So after my brother's funeral, I stayed in Fairbanks for about another week, went and stayed with a foster sister of mine. Um, we kind of partied a little bit, got to hang out, haven't seen each other in a long time, and her husband bought me a plane ticket back to Nanelchik, where I ended up staying. I was supposed to move back to Fairbanks and ended up not going back.
2: That's the second time this has happened, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so, you do you keep thinking, like, I'm going to go to Fairbanks and, like, ha- kind of have a better life there, or I guess when you're thinking you're going to go to Fairbanks, is, like, sobriety, is that part of the thing? Or is just, like, a better life in general?
1: Better life in general. Okay, sobriety so you're not thinking about
2: getting sober. You're just thinking about kind of a better... Sobriety wasn't on my mind yet. Okay, all right.
1: So I came back to Nanolchik, kind of went on a party rampage. I always left my son with my dad. Like, and the way I justified it was... um I never get out of the house. I'm always home during the weekdays, so I deserve a weekend. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, being a single mom, not having any help, so I kind of pulled that card on my dad all the time.
2: Yeah, and it's probably, um, you know, I'm not 100% sure, but I bet it's easier to justify, like, oh kid loves grandpa you know versus like i'm gonna leave him at this babysitter for two days it's like oh he's with his grandparents he loves his grandparents yeah you know i would think that would be a little bit easier to justify right okay yeah
1: leaving him with somebody that zeke knows was a lot easier
2: yeah
1: yeah um so i'd take off for the weekend um i'd go get messed up and come back usually the day after I start to come down I just pass out at a friend's wake up go home Uh, I did that off and on for like probably uh, about eight nine months and then I met a guy um
2: were there times where you would go to party like for a couple days and you would party for like four or five days or was it always like just go hard for a day or two and then come home go hard for
1: a day or two and then go home okay I'd always cut myself off on the third day. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a messed up way of justifying it. <clears throat> so I met this guy like eight, nine months after my brother died at a buddy's house. And me and his wife had our kids over the years. So our kids were growing up together. We'd always throw bonfires and have uh, barbecues and stuff. Um Well, I met one of the dudes that he went to school with, and I ended up dating him for a while. Um, Dated him for a few years. We actually moved into town, got an apartment, and helped him get a a slope job through my uncle, and we started doing really good.
2: Were you guys both using pretty often?
1: Not in the beginning. Drinking was um, pretty usual in Mm -hmm. the beginning, and then... About a year into our relationship, we started using meth pretty heavy. So uh, we both started parenting behind the doors at that
3: point. What kind of changed? Like what was it, I guess, was it like a sudden thing where you're like, hey, we should go do this. And then you both are like, yeah, that sounds great. Or was it just like a temptation or did you know somebody or how did it?
1: Um, When we first met, we were kind of using I don't want to say socially, but it was just the situation we were in.
0: Yeah. Right, right. Um,
1: drinking became a habit. Mm -hmm. Um, how we met was, uh, he was drinking Jack Daniels and everybody else was drinking beer and I didn't drink beer and he happened to be drinking Jack Daniels and that's what I wanted. So I told him you should share his whiskey with me and he said that. I would, um, my lips would kiss the ground if he had, if he shared his whiskey with me and I told him to put his money, his money where his mouth was. So we went to the liquor store, bought four fifths of JD, two were his, two were mine, and neither one of us could drink each, each other under the table. Um, we drink each, drink each other sober, pretty much. Um, <laughs> wow. so that's kind of how we met and yeah, so drinking was kind of, A natural thing then. Mm -hmm. Um, I drank pretty heavily at that point in time and once in a while we'd go out with friends and they'd be smoking some meth we'd join in here and there. Um, We'd leave his ex-wife would have the kids like I don't know every throughout the week during school week my son would stay at my dad's um, for the weekend and then he'd come home during the school week and all that. So, I don't know. Um, at some point, it just started to progress. We started doing it more and more. Um, we ran into another buddy that they all went to school with who happened to cook meth, and mm. then it started to become a regular thing.
3: Sure. Yeah. Okay, gotcha.
1: So, um...
2: Because I would imagine, unless you have a pretty good connection, I mean, maintaining a heavy meth habit is expensive. Oh, yeah. Especially yeah. If when you're still taking care of your kid.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. he... When we first met, he was working overseas. Okay. Um. So he'd literally fly out and go to India and do um, gosh, what's it called? Um. He'd do like excavation in the ocean. Oh.
2: wow. So
1: he was an ocean um, excavator where they would uh, they would basically drill holes into the earth to try and find oil. hmm Yeah. And then they drop down lines with min- miniature bombs on it to blow the seabed. Wow. And he was the navigator, so he was uh, one of the top crewmen. He'd be gone for like three, four months at a time. When he'd come home, he'd have like forty, sixty thousand dollars in his bank. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So he'd come home. We'd party hard. He'd he added me onto his bank account, and then I decided I wanted That's my a lot own of trust. Yeah, <laughs>
2: Dang.
1: I wanted my own bank account. I got my own job, so I was working. Um, he just helped set up the apartment, get those initial bills paid, and then I'd work while he was gone, and the kids would go to school. So it became pretty routine for a minute. Whenever he was gone, I'd sober up and work and do all the things I'm supposed to do at home. He'd come home, and then it was pretty much a party on, Garth. Yeah. So um, so we would... Uh, have um huge flings um like we would have a bunch of friends come over they would spend the night um i'd cook dinner routinely it was really stupid because like most of the people there wouldn't even wouldn't eat. even eat yeah
2: no exactly <laughs> i know? was about to say like so okay cool. we, <laughs> we got all yeah. this food but exactly none of us are trying to eat for a couple days so yeah. i guess i just to wear this up
1: yep pretty much so (laughs) we'd have like lots of cooked food really good food so we just end up giving we gave a lot of it to our um i guess our dealer that would have a bunch of people that just like would pass out or just run down themselves you know yeah um on his property and they would just like eat away you know so,
2: Because coming off a good binge, I mean, you might sleep for, what, fif- like 12, 15, 20 hours and then eat thousands oh yeah. of calories, right?
1: Yeah, pretty yeah. much. You'll yeah. binge eat Yeah. just as much as you binge sleep when you first come off a runner. Sure. So, yeah, we did that for almost two years. And then, um, I don't know, out of the blue, he met this girl. God, she must have been like 16. Um, I was... 21, 22 at this time. And he met this 16-year-old that he used to babysit when she was little. And so he started, uh, I found out one time that he came home from work early, didn't tell me. Um, We found out I was pregnant. So he decided to keep me home, get me all messed up. And then I was like, at this point, I didn't like want to use, but that no was like not really an option. So he didn't want a baby. He didn't want another one. He didn't have anything to do with uh, one of his other kids down in the States. So I found out he came home early and spent the whole weekend with her before coming home to me. So he stays with me for about five days. He kept taking off routinely. Like, Mm. oh, I got to go do this and this. And just wouldn't come home for, like, a long time. Sure. And that was pretty new, right? Yeah, just out of the blue. So I guess he started having, like, this long-distance relationship over the computer with this 16-year-old. And mind you, he's, like, almost 30. So I was like, okay, well, so he comes home. He's getting ready to go back up on the slope. Well, he spent three days before leaving to go back to work, packing up all his stuff. Takes it all to his dad's house. Mm. And he's just saying, well, I just want to keep it there. And our lease is getting ready to come up. Sure. So I'm like, okay, well, so he left me to pack up his kids' stuff, my son's stuff, my stuff, and move it. Like give all his daughter's stuff back to his ex-wife, and then me move all of my stuff and my son's stuff back to, and I'll check out my dad's. So I do that, and tax returns are about to come up. So and
2: you didn't want to renew your lease? No, I. mm -mm. You guys weren't there. There
1: was just no point in getting the lease if he wasn't going to be there too. The house was just too big for me and my son. Sure. So I was like, okay. So I defaulted on the lease, and from the very beginning, I didn't know. What kind of person he was going to be? So I told him, "Do not put my name on that lease, whatsoever. It's all going to fall on you." <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it did. Um, so we defaulted on the lease. He ended up having to pay thirty thousand out of pocket for the rest of it. It's um,
2: a long lease. Dang.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, um, well, like a few months before that happened, the uh, apartment complex ended up getting new managers or mm. new new buyers i yeah, guess yeah and so they were uh transferring the escrow account to new owners of the whole property and so when that happened they had to like renew the lease everybody's lease in all these apartments for under new management so we were already there for like six months they didn't want to renew a six month um they're supposed to be a year plus so they did a nine month and We were only there for, like, another 30 days at that point. And Hmm. we didn't want to renew it for nine months, but he had already signed the paperwork before he left. Yeah. So, and at this point, I already knew what was going on. So I went ahead and checked our mailbox routinely. He got his beautiful tax return. Beautiful thing about it. He was up on the slope, you know, kind of f***ing our family off. So I mailed his $60,000 tax return back to the state. Dang. Yeah. So he when he came home from work, he couldn't get his own place. He couldn't do nothing. I was just like Yikes, what, man? Whatever. <laughs> Dude, So dang, I went back yeah. home to my dad's house and he tried getting a hold of me all pissed off. I was like, Well, I can introduce you to a buddy you can move in with. So he moved in over there. He wanted us to get a place again. And I was like, No, I'm not gonna get a place with you again. Like
2: um, did he know that you the were the one he, that mailed a $60,000 check yep, to the, I told him and he was still like, Oh, well it's cool. We'll get a place.
1: Nope. Oh, he was, he was really pissed off at me. The reason why I did that was okay. So the day he left, um, for the slope, <laughs> and um, he,
2: I'm just sitting over here <laughs> thinking like, dude, like, okay. Yeah. That's terrible that he did that. And I'm not saying that that's cool at all. I'm just trying to think of being in that position of, like, somebody being like, hey, man, you know that check you had? Yeah, I, I mailed it back. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, sorry well, about that. Well, it's not
1: like I... I yeah. Well, no. I could have, honestly, I could have forged his signature. I'm no, on I thought account. that's what you were going to say. I'm like, oh, yeah. dang, I dude, like, she
2: forged, her, she oh, yeah. forged his signature, I really could have just, it. like, drained him. That would have been way him. harder, yeah. But oh, yeah. I
1: decided that it'd be a lot harder for just him like, to try and reclaim his money from the state than yeah. it would for me getting um, fraud.
2: Felony fraud, yeah. Yeah, so...
1: Yeah. um. Well, the day he left for work, he dropped me off at the abortion clinic and stayed just long enough for them to start the whole procedure and then dipped out. So when I had to call my friends crying, like, completely upset and I was um, high, I was scared, and he just left me there. Like, he's like, you're going to go through with this or we're not going to be together. And I was just like... Are you kidding me? So he left for work, and uh, I ended up going home to my... Well, my friends come and pick me up, and I slept on their couch for three days after the abortion. And, like, I woke up on the couch, and I looked at my girlfriend, and I was like, I'll be back. I don't know when, but I'll be back. Like, so I left, and I partied hard for three days. Like, it was just nonstop, and then I showed back up at her place. She nursed me back to health, and then uh, she drove me out to my dad's, and I stayed there. Um, At that point, I ended up staying in bed because I uh, started hurting really bad in my stomach, and couldn't figure out what the f*** was going on. Uh, So I went to the doctors, and they found that there were pieces of what would be, like, Mm. parts of the baby left in me, so I had to go to the hospital and re-get... Um. fixed yeah. so uh, I had a really bad infection Um. so I was admitted into the hospital hospital called my ex from the slope told him you have to come home like she can't leave here she's really sick you gotta come back so he got sent home like he didn't want to leave work to come back and take care of me but uh, my work or my the hospital got a hold of his boss and told his boss and his boss was like, Oh no, you're going to go home. Like, um, and my uncle was one of his bosses. So my uncle was like, Nope, you're going home. He's like, and you're leaving without pay. So you're going to go home. And so they send him home with his first week's paycheck to help take care of me and whatnot. He comes back. He, um, had me go and pick up his vehicle or had his family drop his vehicle off at the hospital made me drive to the uh, airport, pick him up. And I'm like, well, oh, on these medications, like hardcore cocktails from the hospital for the pain and all this. And he has me drive to the airport, pick his <laughs> up. I get there and I'm almost, I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to walk the car and I'm just going to be on the passenger side. <laughs> I'm going to leave the car running, just knock on the window. He flies in and... And he's, like, partially drunk from, like, the airports that he f***ing traveled through. And he he decides to go to the Upper Deck bar at the airport in Kenai. And he starts drinking for, like, an hour. I wake up in the car and I'm like, what the hell? I look at the time. I go in and I grab him. And it was just, like, on at that point. So he got to, I guess he must have gotten tired of arguing with me because he went and found... So you know when they shut down Uptown Motel, this rundown motel in Kenai, they Mm -hmm. turned it into like a homeless shelter type deal. You know, really cheap rooms, like you could pay 20 bucks for a night or something like that. So he puts down like $60, puts me in a room where the thermostat's broken, I'm sick, and he takes off with my vehicle, leaves his vehicle, because I have TAG's registration, and he just takes off and I'm like, dude, if you don't come back, like, I'm going to report my vehicle stolen. So he, he comes back, and he took all my money. I had, like, a $300 paycheck. He goes and buys a bunch of meth with it and comes back, picks me up, and I'm like, dude, just get your money back. Like, I'll drop you off at your dad's. You can do whatever you want, but I'm going to my dad's. So we end up stopping. He doesn't want to stay at his dad's. He decides he wants to stay at his friend's house where we met, which is, like, a mile or two from my dad's house. And I'm like, whatever. Whatever. I'm like, fine, but you're driving. So we drive all the way out there. I drop his ass off, go to my dad's, and I don't know. It was really weird, but him and my buddy were having a conversation in the shop. I go in there, and my buddy actually, like, got really mean with me. Like, he was pissed off to high heaven with me for some reason. I imagine it probably had something to do with the abortion because about a week later, my buddy shows up on a four-wheeler at my dad's house. And he's drinking. He's up, to be sad. There's something wrong. He couldn't tell me what was going on. And I'm like, oh, well, we've been best friends for, like, 13 years, you know. Me, his wife, his kids, my kids. like. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll just hang out with you. You know, there's something something not right. Your spirits are, like, hella down. Well, we end up going to the beach, and I'm like, well, let's just take a five-gallon bucket. I was outside gardening in my dad's garden trying to rebuild his rock wall. We go to the beach. We start drinking a little bit of vodka, and he has another buddy show up down there, and I kept saying I wanted to go home. He wouldn't take me home. Well, his buddy that showed up had, like, a cooler in the back, and I was thirsty at this point. I didn't want to drink anymore, so he hands me a uh, Pepsi but. I didn't really think anything of it, but it was open. And mm. I took it. I drank it. Um, I ended up waking up on the beach somewhere, Jeez. Um, missing my bra. My shirt was on. My pants were ripped. My shirt was torn. My hat, my gloves, my coat were gone. My boots were on, but they weren't tied. And I woke up because the ocean water was halfway up on me. And I woke up just in time to see my buddy on his four-wheeler taking off. So I, like, I get up, and I'm just like, hey, don't forget about me. And he just, like, turns his head, slows down a little bit, but doesn't stop. And once he, like, really heard me scream, don't forget about me, he just, like, gunned it. Gunned it out of there. So, and I spent the next 13 hours on that beach trying to find a way off. I actually wound up uh, almost freezing to death. Um, some, I pulled my phone out. It was cracked, broken wouldn't turn on and somehow my dad and my foster brother found me on the beach. They said that, um, my phone worked just long enough for me to scream. My son uh, being like four years old answered the phone and heard me screaming for help. Like, wow. And so my son was crying and took the phone Weird. and I guess he beat my dad in the face with it. Like, wake up, mama's in trouble. I don't remember, I don't recall any of this. I don't recall being on the phone. I don't remember any of it at all. This is just what my dad told me. So my dad and my foster brother, like, they spent hours driving up and down like every single beach entrance in Anilchik trying to find me. And the real messed up part was I was less than three miles from home. Um, so they, they found my buddy on the four-wheeler just driving drunk down the highway. And they, run, they like, run him off the highway, make him stop, and they're like, where the hell did you leave Lauren? Like, he wouldn't tell them. Like, he kept just trying to get away. So they called the cops, and he went to jail, and they found a tide book on him on his four-wheeler where it was highlighted for the highest tide of the year and where he left me um, was between two coves where there's, like, no beach. Once the water comes in, you're just kind of f***ed. <laughs> so I spent, I actually shattered my ankle in three places running on the beach in the dark. My foot fell through two um, two plates of uh, coal and just totally flipped my whole leg over. Um, I got up and I was still running down the beach. And I wasn't sure if I was like seeing clearly. I probably ran for like three four miles down the beach trying to find an exit. And I'm just like running my hand along the wall and just trying to run as fast as I can before the water gets up there. And like out of the farthest <laughs> farthest corner of my eyesight, I like saw something and then I started hearing voices. Like I didn't know what the hell, but I remember like screaming. I screamed so hard that I paralyzed my vocal cords. My throat was bleeding. Um nobody could hear me over the ocean, really. So um, <clears throat> I saw my dad and my brother just, like, walking up towards me. And I thought it was just, like, I didn't think anybody was really there. So I just, like, started running towards this image that was just appearing in the dark. And I heard my foster brother's voice, and I just collapsed in his arms. My dad walks up behind him, and he's disabled. So my dad couldn't really keep up. Um they found me. My dad was wearing his um, feather down jacket. It was oh, it was 13 degrees outside at that during that time. It was uh, middle of November, late November. 13 degrees out. There was frost on the ground. Not quite any snow anywhere, not on the beach anyways. Um, so my dad took his coat off, covered me up. And I was about 300 feet from the exit that they came down. And the ambulance drove all the way up to the very top of the exit at the top of the bluff. And they had to walk a stretcher down. They kept trying to get me to stand up and walk, but I was too frozen. I couldn't, I couldn't move. They couldn't even pick me up normal. I was just like a flat board. Um, so they carried me up. Uh, I don't remember any of it. I woke up in the ambulance about 10 minutes out of town with a bunch of kids that were training to be EMTs from Ninulchik. Uh, They were all naked and on top of me. And I'm just like, what the f**k? Like, there's a bunch of naked people on top of me in their underwear. And they're, like, really young. And I'm just like, where am I? Like, I started freaking out. just, like, trying to rip these straps off me. And they're just like, it's okay. Like... They explained like what happened, where I am. I had like major rashes all over me from the coal beds and stuff.
2: Were you hallucinating, or were there actually you're in the you're in the ambulance, and there are people with just their underwear on? Well,
1: it's yeah. the Best way to warm up
3: someone mm-hmm. with with hypothermia. Your body. Yeah. 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 No, like, wow. The
1: yeah. Nanilchik ambulance was not prepared for anybody with hypothermic symptoms. Wow. Whatsoever, they had no warming blankets. They had nothing other than IVs and stuff. Most of their protocols are based on, um, you know, senior citizens having strokes or heart attacks and stuff. Wow. So they weren't prepared for a hypothermic individual such as myself. They checked- and that's
2: got to be terrifying. Oh yeah. I mean, because you probably. I mean, it sounds like you had just been drugged and sexually assaulted. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, I that's had, what happened.
1: I had no idea and like what happened. And now you wake up. And... I'm in an ambulance. I didn't even know I was in an that ambulance. But I'm just like freaking out. Yeah. And they tell me what happened yeah. wow. and what they're doing. They checked my core temperature and I was 93.4 degrees. Mm. They said if I had another 10 minutes on that beach, I would have been dead. Wow. Um, the, It wound up to be in the newspaper. Um next Sunday. Uh, He my buddy ended up um, getting like six years. He actually was sentenced to come to treatment here. uh, Do half his jail time at Wildwood.
2: Did he get charged with like assault? Like sexual assault?
1: They wanted me to slap him with attempted manslaughter because of the Tide book.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, The DA was pressing really hard and I was just like, no, like... This guy has um, a very characteristic background. Like, I'm not out for blood. Like, that's going a little too far, you know? Um, I was in no way going to go that route.
3: So do you think he wasn't trying to kill you?
1: Uh, there's, so years down, uh, years down the road, he mm-hmm. admitted to a future boyfriend of mine that that was his intent, was just, uh, you know, nobody ever find me again not wow. not kill me himself but just you well, know Well pretty much
2: though. Yeah. yeah. I mean yeah, drug you of, leave much. you in a place where there would soon be no land.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's wow. So Wow. Um yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. So it's Surreal. Like uh yeah, after all that like yeah, it was pretty messed up. Like me and um my ex and my buddy, we Quit talking at that point. Like, there was just... (laughs)
3: Yeah. That would make sense. That's that's a friendship ender right there. Attempted murder.
1: So, we... um, The DA kept pushing me and pushing me to want to press for attempted manslaughter. I wouldn't do it. Um, I can't remember what the charge was that uh, I went to, but he got 36 months added on to his sentence. Um, He got 10 years of probation. Um, Yeah. So... And his wife called me all the time around the clock, like, harassing me. Like, oh, it's your fault. Like, you shouldn't have even been out there. Like, this would have never happened. Just totally losing her mind. Like, she just lost her best friend, her drug dealer, her kid's dad. Like, you know, things were just off the charts. So I had to call the troopers and put a restraining order on her. Um, a lot of people in the community and friends, like, Basically, my whole life at that point kind of ended. I just quit going outside the house, quit hanging out with people. Um, I just pretty much stayed home. I only had a very few select friends that would come over. Um, It definitely changed my perception on who to trust.
3: Yeah, that's like the biggest betrayal. Like, that's, I mean, you can't get, wow, wow.
1: Yeah. So So
0: what's your use look like after this now, your substance use look like right after this scenario? because. From my understanding, that guy was also your dealer as well as your friend, right? So I mean, is one of them? Yeah. One, you, yeah. Okay, that was my question. One of your dealers. So I mean, what's at, at this point has this deterred you from using
1: a little this bit? Experience? I mean, there were a lot of our f- other friends that would deal that were just like totally suspicious of the situation. Um, like, yeah, everybody just got really suspicious of me at that point. You know, like and that's it's so. Like I mean, they it's were like, so
2: typical, like, in society, you know, especially in our society. Like, it's so sad that, like, a victim suffers some kind of, you know, whether violence or sexual assault or sexual violent crime, you know, is a victim of that. And then they bring it forward, and they're the ones that are ostracized, and they're the yeah. ones that are blamed, you know, like, oh, you have brought so much, like, troubles to this church body. You've brought so much troubles to this family, to this community. If only you, meanwhile, the victims like, no, like really, if only this person wouldn't have raped me for years, or if this person wouldn't have sexually assaulted me on a beach and then left me for dead. Like, I'm not the one that did this. This happened to me, you know, like, and they're like, oh, do you mind if, uh, do you mind if, you know, we still allow this person to be involved in, this organization, do you mind if we still allow this person to, like, be involved in this? And you're like, the victim's like, I shouldn't have to mind. Like, you should mind for me. You should mind that these violent crimes, these violent sexual crimes have been committed. Like, you shouldn't have to ask me.
1: Right. It's pretty typical typical in the drug world. Like, if anybody is actually victimized and it's another person within the circle that's a part of it, you know that victimized someone else. Mm-hmm. It's the victim that is causing problems, and everyone gets suspicious of yeah. it entirely. Like yeah. you end up getting um, black sheeped, yeah. pretty much. And that
2: happens. That happens in you know outside of the drug world, and you know that happens in all. I mean, all over. Like in our culture. Like in especially like in domestic violence or violence like against women or sexual assault like the you know the people the victims come forward and it's like they're the ones that are like oh i don't know they could be making that up like when really like it's very rare that women or men you know make up like that they've been sexually assaulted you know that's rare but like people are like oh they're it's just a really sad typical thing it's really sad
3: well, and I think a part of it is that people don't want to believe that that kind of stuff happens. Right. right? They hear about it. And Life's it, easier if it's, it doesn't. Well, yeah. And especially if they, they know the person and to think that someone that they trusted could be capable of such an evil thing isn't something that they want to consider. It's mm. easier to, to block out the cries of the people who desperately need help than to accept the fact that you trusted basically a monster. Yeah. And as someone who can bring great harm to to you or your family and and that's hard to accept. It's like, it it's was,
0: an insecurity almost, you know what I mean? Like, the, you bring it back on yourself, like, man, like, I trusted that person. Yeah. Like I was yeah. friends with that. People put our names in the same sentence. Like you yeah. don't, yeah. don't want to, th- I mean, you that don't want to think that you were capable of trusting somebody that was capable of such. Yeah. It definitely
1: ran things. through my mind. Like, I had no way of talking to him. There was uh, no contact order. I had a trespass and restraining order on his wife. Um which really really sucked cuz we were all best friends for like 13 years. Like I didn't want to believe it. Yeah. I didn't want to believe that my buddy was capable like I actually got into a huge fight with my brother and my dad over it. Like why would you send him to jail? Like he couldn't be capable of this and they're like Wow. They're like you don't know how you looked when we found you on the beach. You don't know what happened. Like they found five times the legal limit of GHB in my system.
2: Oh wow.
1: Um when I woke up in the hospital, uh I just like I ripped everything off except for the IV. Like I was like discharge me right now. Like I was absolutely afraid of I guess the truth. Like I didn't want to hear it. Like
3: Oh yeah. That's
1: about truth. I was like I didn't want to know anything about what happened. I just wanted out, discharge me now, let me go.
3: Yeah, just forget. Like,
1: I don't want there to be any proof. Like, I was actually afraid of even standing up for myself if that situation was correct. Wow. Um, there was no telling what would happen later on down the road, you know what I mean? Right. So I'm mm-hmm. just like, <laughs> I didn't really know what to do with it. I just didn't want nothing to do with it. Yeah. So. I spent months ignoring the DA. Uh, I just stayed at home, not really talking to anybody. Um, I wouldn't even let the hospital, um, what is that, where they take a rough sponge and they just, like, go to town on your frickin' skin, taking all all the rocks and, like, road rash when they just, like, scrub. with. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't even let them do that. Like, I had them discharge me, so I went home and my sister-in-law, my brother's wife... She drew a bath for me in my bedroom and climbed in the bathtub with me and just started scrubbing me down to get all that stuff out of my skin, all the coal and stuff. And then they put me to bed and I was asleep for like three days, I think. Just slept for three days in my bed, uh, not feeling good, hurting. Uh, My brother's wife came in constantly to check on me and make sure I was still breathing. Shortly after that, when I recovered a little better, um, I guess it scared my foster brother and his wife enough to where they moved out of state. They just, they're like, nope, we're done. Like clean up or you know, something even worse is going to happen to you. So they packed up, they left. I started, after they left, I started uh, mainly smoking pot, drinking here and there, um, spent a lot of time with my son. Um, I'd party on the weekends sometimes. There was only, like, a few of my friends out of that big drug circle that, you know, believed me and told everybody else to just f*** off. Like, you don't know what happened. Like, we are totally believe, we believe that, you know, this person's capable of this. Like, if he wasn't, look at the hard facts. He's in jail and, like, you know, they're just wouldn't be any way to make anything like that up. So I had some friends that would come, I guess, cater to my need or whatever, Um, just try and change the situation for me a little bit. Um, So uh, it took me a long time to actually really leave the house. I was too afraid to leave the house for a long time. Um, I just pretty much was a closet user for a year and a half at that point. just stayed home. Uh, I finally got up enough courage to go get a job. Um, so I started working in Anchor Point. One of the, I ended up dating a drug dealer. Um, about nine months into working in Anchor Point, and we had a relationship for a while. We'd get clean and then stop. Get you know, get clean. For a few months, and then party for a so few months. So is this months. kind of, one,
2: some of the first, one of the first times that you're like, I should probably clean up?
1: Yeah, it sounds like kind before of.
2: you weren't interested in it, and this right. is one of the first times that you're kind of like, eh.
1: At this I point, I was like, to... well, my son's getting old enough to understand. He knows what he sees, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, i got to clean up for, you know, random amounts of time. I don't know how I really justified that. Like, hey, I'm clean for a few months, so I can go get messed up for a few months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, So we did that for about 11 months. Um, In between that 11 months dating him, I woke up to him shooting me up with heroin. Uh, Complete mind blower. I started freaking out and crying. I was like, you don't know. Like, I heard stories of people just doing too much and just dying, you know. And I was just like, are you serious? Like, why would you shoot me up with this I told you I never wanted to do it, try it, nothing. People kept trying to warn me about him, like, you be careful. Like, he's got the reputation of turning girls. Like, and I was like, no, no, like, no way, you know. And then I wake up with him shooting me up with heroin in my arm. And I was like, are you kidding me? So at that point, it was like we got into a huge fight over it, like, as well as I could, like... Muster to him out while I'm really high. Um, I ended up puking for like three hours straight. Hmm. like it was the worst high ever. Um, so he got me onto heroin and I started using it here and there. Um, I never wanted to like become normal using it, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to become, that become my normalcy. So, I, he would end up uh, having to shoot me up, because I was too afraid to shoot myself up with anything. Um, my drug of choice was just meth and to smoke it for the longest time. And then, uh, it got to the point where I, my body was just like, it had to have it, like, or I was just sick without it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, absolutely sucked because there were times where he'd find me crying and he's just like what's wrong with you and I'm like I can't I'm stuck here and I can't like my son is at home wondering where his mom is at like this is that's on my mind constantly and it's just eating me you know and he's just like he'd be like some days he'd have a heart and be like okay well then let's clean up and then that'd last for about a week and then he'd want to you know, go out and go on another runner, go speedball. And so after like four months of that, I got tired of it. I, we went up to Anchorage to work for some people.
0: You said go speedball? Yeah. That's super scary.
1: Yeah, shoot heroin and meth at the same time. Oh, okay. Because
0: what, the, what that can do it. is that can create an irregular heartbeat. They call it Bellucci as well. That's how John Bellucci died, the actor. Oh, Because really? when you do an upper and a down at the same time, it can create different it can make create an irregular heartbeat and a heart murmur and like it can get going so fast.
1: Your heart will on explode. one side
0: yeah, literally it just explode in your chest. Like wow. It can actually kill you pretty fairly easily. Yeah. And his that his was just like cocaine and I don't even think it was heroin, like it was something else like codeine or something weird. Wow. Yeah, or like pills maybe. Yeah, coke and like uh, another opioid and oxycodone or something like that.
1: Yep. That's wow. Oh yeah. And so after four months of that I found out I was pregnant again, so I started to clean up, and, uh, he started to clean up. Surprisingly, he put the heroin down, and, um, he was clean for about four months. I was clean for about four months. Um, I used to take care of his mom as a home PCA. Um, took care of all her medical and health issues, her diabetes and all that, and, uh, I used to get paid fairly well for it. His daughter went to Avtech to try and get a job like me, making 1850, 2550 an hour as an in-home nurse. And so I was like, okay, she graduates, I gave her my job. Well, I started partying with her dad a lot, and um, his daughter, out of the blue, just like blew my mind. She started partying and quit taking care of her grandma. So I slowed down on my drug use to take care of his mom without pay again, Uh, just routinely. Yeah, um, he, we ended up like, we weren't together for two, three months. Uh, I was living at my dad's. I moved out of the cabin we were living in. I'd go and check on his mom, take care of her every now and then. Uh, He'd stop by. There was a time where I just literally locked myself up in my dad's house and I told him, you're not welcome unless you're clean. He sat in his van for three weeks straight in my driveway, getting clean, staying sober. He's like, I am not going to leave this driveway until you know that I'm clean. I'm just going to quit cold turkey in your driveway, and I'm not leaving. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. I don't don't care. I'm like, you can stay out there. So he went, and he had a little propane heater in his van and he'd just stay out there the whole time so I'm just like every time I cook breakfast lunch and dinner I'd bring him a plate of food and he's like I'm sorry can I come in yet and I'm like hell no I'm like I'll be back for the plate so hey,
3: three
2: weeks yeah I mean I get it man that's dedication but I'd be like
1: come on girls
2: it's, like, <laughs> oh, it's been 10 days man I'm in this van. Can yeah. I like, come in? Get a little snuggles? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> a little <snuggles. laughs>
2: You know, I'm for real, dude. Yeah. Ten days in a van? I'd be like, man, can I get in and get some snuggles? Maybe, a, like, four hours of sleep on the bed? Like,
1: just nope. a
3: little bit, bro. No. <laughs> I'm like, like he he had sure had, he tried. He, had his,
1: he called his mom and had his daughter drive. <laughs> his mom drove over with a twin mattress. On their car roof, strapped down nice. to put in his van. <laughs> that's
2: dedication.
1: So, yeah. wait,
3: was he like clean for the whole three weeks, or did it take him three? Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, he, yeah that's he, what I'm he, saying. Like he ten days in the clean, van. Like, eight hey, nope. eleven days. I was like the first
1: <laughs> four days he wouldn't eat. Like
2: oh, it's too sick.
1: He was too sick. Yeah. Like I just kept refilling him gallon jugs of water. I'll
2: be back for the jug.
1: Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> hey, I mean,
2: you, get, you get betrayed
1: that many times?
2: Right, no. Yeah, yeah. so... No, like I said, I get it, but I mean, on the other hand... He like, used man. to
1: shoot up, like, two 30cc insulin syringes of heroin at a time. Wow. Two of them. Like, he was hardcore. Yeah. It took him an initial week, almost week and a half, to kick, like, all the symptoms of... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was pretty bad. Like, he would not look good at all. So, that happened. We ended up uh, making up after about three weeks. Um, told him he was welcome to come in the house, say hi to my son, and all this. And I'm just like, at so this time, your we know son, I'm pregnant. Your
2: son's at the house with you. And is he ever looking out and being like, hey, mom, <laughs> what's this guy doing <laughs> in the van? Yeah. You know?
1: Uh, yeah. What
2: would you say? He's
3: sick?
1: Yeah, well, he, he knew, knew that it was. Right he knew who it was, and he was just like, he knew we were, we'd, we were like fighting, and I'm just like, no, he's in timeout. You know, go play. All right. Um, my son would just be Your like, okay. Son's like, man, I hope I don't get put in. <laughs> you know. I don't want to go to
0: timeout.
3: I don't want to go to the timeout, van, bro. I'm <laughs> time out man am yeah, definitely gonna <laughs> hang out so, there for three weeks if you don't put that away three
0: weeks in the van <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well swear, so like go meals, on so yeah if you don't even say Russell Sprouts you're going in the time out
2: man <laughs> Russell Sprouts gone
0: right <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: so I invited okay. him in the house yeah. um, we hung out for a little bit about a couple hours and then uh, we go to his mom's we all ride together in the van go to his mom's hang out with his mom for a little bit we're all clean Mm-hmm. We start working on my 91 Mustang in the, his mom's garage. Um, I take off in my Jeep to go get... Um, so my dad picks me up in my Jeep, head back to the house. I leave my son with him, and I drive my Jeep into Kasilov to a buddy's shop. And I'm just like, okay, I'm pregnant. We don't know how far along. We just know that I'm pregnant. I can't get a test to tell me I'm pregnant, but I I feel f- pregnant. There's yeah. something wrong there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm constantly getting sick. I had a hole in my radiator, and it was like January at time. And every time if it would get, drop below 20 degrees, my radiator would freeze up, and my vehicle would just stall on the side of the highway. Mm-hmm. I couldn't start it, keep heat in it. Nothing. Yeah. So I'm just like, well, one of these times I'm just going to like either freeze to death in my car or I'm going to have to leave to go fix it. So I went to my buddy's shop, tore the whole front course, tore it off and started um, fixing the radiator and got it fixed, put it all back on, went in to go hang in, hang out in a friend's house, get something to eat. And I ended up getting a phone call at like three in the morning from his mom Mm-hmm. And I and I look at my phone and I'm like, like something just came over yeah. me. Like yeah. something's wrong here that, yeah. that his mom does like, and his mom would call me routinely, you know.
2: But not 3 a.m.
1: Yeah, well, sometimes she would mm-hmm. like, um, if nobody was there with her once in a while, she'd be like, I'm scared. I'm lonely. You know, come come and spend the night with me. Um, there were multiple times where I'd just go and sleep in his mom's bed with her just so she'd go to sleep. And uh, just something really weird that happened um, that day when I got that phone call. So she ends up calling again. Like as soon as the phone hung up, I didn't answer it. She calls again. And at that point, I'm just like, something really bad is going on. I answer the phone and she tells me he's dead. And I'm just like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean he's dead? He's in the garage and he's dead, like me and your dog almost died, too. So, apparently, so I don't really know what happened. Um, I heard so many different stories, but he was trying to fix the van. There was an exhaust leak through the dash. Whenever I'd climb in it, I'd end up having really bad nosebleeds and severe headaches. And me being pregnant at the time was not good. So some
2: kind of like carbon monoxide leak or something?
1: Yeah. Into the van. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way we caught the fact that there was a leak at all. Um, was from my nosebleed and headaches. I went to the clinic and they saw that I, they figured out that I had carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, so he was trying to find the leak and fix it and patch it. Well, some I guess some of his friends stopped by and he hadn't done heroin or anything in four months mm-hmm. and he decided to you
2: know
1: yeah do a shot and no it, tolerance no tolerance yeah and it just wiped him out yeah well he passes out in the driver's seat with the dash all torn apart and the garage door was halfway open and
2: he already had a repressed uh breathing
1: mm-hmm. and so he passed out in the driver's seat it was running um he always left the garage door halfway open it was probably like 28 below that day
2: and his friends closed it
1: and the next door neighbors closed yeah. it didn't know he was in there yeah um, with the vehicle running so his mom's entire apartment filled up with carbon monoxide and the alarms went off um, the next door neighbor was able to get his mom and my dog out in time they didn't know he was in the van so he ended up dying a carbon monoxide poisoning Wow. And um, after that happened, I went into Ksylof, hung out with my friends. Um, literally, didn't didn't leave. Like I told Dad, like take care of Zeke for a little while. Like I gotta go get my head right. And I'm just hanging out at my friends and getting loaded. No. No. Mm You're still. Uh, you at this I'm, point. I'm, huh. Yeah. I'm wow. clean, pregnant. Um. I'm hanging out with all my friends that are getting loaded, and yeah. I'm trying my damnedest not to. Right. Like, I'm just sitting there. Like, That's I hard. I couldn't even pick, like, I didn't want to do anything. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. I was just, I can't even say dragging. I was like a thousand pound boulder that just couldn't move.
2: Yeah.
1: So, um, his daughter calls me the night that he died, and she's just like, he's still breathing, like... It, if you make it here you can see him before they take him away and I just I couldn't move I just like like I said I turned into a thousand pound boulder and just sat there for three days just sat there like in shock and awe like didn't know what to do when I finally did get in my Jeep and drove that way I was just like crying hysterically I almost wrecked like um, made it home uh, told my dad, like, you know, I was going to be in my room, and I've always told my son, my room's always open. You know, it's always open. I ended up locking my door off and on. Um, I quit cooking. I quit doing everything, the usual chores and all that. Uh, his mom kept calling me constantly, like, three, four times a day, like, you need to come over. I need help with this. I need to do this. And... I'm like, okay, so I'd get up, I'd go over there, and just knowing that he died in her garage was just like, like, why do you even f- call me over here? Like, uh, so I was like stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like, I wanted to be there to help her, but I didn't want to be there because that's where he died. Like, so all this stress built up, and I ended up having a miscarriage nine days after he died. Um, His mom was like, I'm so sorry, I just wanted to keep you close, keep you busy so you wouldn't go relapse and do something stupid. And I ended up, like, what set it off was I show up over there nine days later and she's trying to commit suicide with her insulin. She's just, like, shooting up as much insulin to get her sugars to spike and go DKC. Instant diabetic coma is what she was shooting for. She had just lost her baby. And I was like, okay, well, I had to call uh, 911 and get her admitted to the hospital, and they put her in the suicide room. Um, then they medevaced her up to Anchorage. I checked her blood sugars, and the meter wouldn't even register her numbers. It, it, all it could say was high. High. That is all it could say. The highest a meter can go, I think, is like 500. And all it said is high. Count was way too high. They found that her sugars were like over 1,000. We couldn't give her anything to bring her sugars down. We had to try and get her to eat. Like, it was insane watching how she was acting with her sugars that high. Like, she just kept saying, I can't turn it on. And she just kept hitting the on button. And it just, like, her meter kept restarting. And that's all she, like. It was crazy. So I end up turning his mom in for suicide watch, and I have a miscarriage, and I literally go down the street to the clinic, see my doctor, and she was like, yep, you are having a miscarriage as we speak, and then I just, like, I lose it at that point. Um, I called our friends from Anchorage, and I'm like, like, all of our friends from Anchorage would call me every single day, how you doing, don't do anything stupid, we love you, blah, blah, blah. Like, some of them even drove the three-hour drive just to come down and see me, make sure I wouldn't do anything stupid after he killed himself. Like, there's speculation that, you know, he did it on purpose. It like, was quite an
2: accident, sure.
1: Yeah. Like, maybe it was suicide, maybe it was an accident. Like, nobody just really knows. Um, so, it was just like hardcore at that point. At that point I was like, oh, I lost the baby, so um, some of his friends came down from Anchorage and I just went all out for like, I partied hard for three months and then I met, um, I got tired of doing heroin and meth, um, so I dropped the heroin. Like, I was like, that's the thing he died from, like for a minute there I was just like, "Yeah, it won't hurt me, you know, like it was absolutely so a few months later i end up meeting my daughter's dad and uh we're just doing meth um at that point i was staying at somebody an alcohol a severe alcoholic's house and literally all that was there was just alcohol me and my son had nowhere to go my dad kicked me out so he did yeah wow so this dude takes
2: me... Why, did he, why? It seemed like, I mean, he had been
1: I was allowing a, a
2: lot of stuff for a lot of years. And what right. he decided, like, too much is too much?
1: My dad... When did I can't that, remember... How, did that,
2: how does that happen?
1: I can't remember exactly what it was about. I wasn't seeing that coming. I was...
2: Coming, you know? Neither was it seemed I. seemed like dad was pretty well, for lack of a better word, I mean, pretty enabling, pretty tolerant throughout all this.
1: Right. And then um, I go to leave one time with my son to go grocery shopping in town, and my dad just flipped. He's like, you're not. He's like, no. He's like, you're not going anywhere with him. Yeah. Like, he's not leaving. So my dad, like, I'm, like, picking up my son. He's sleeping. My dad ripped my arm. Mm -hmm. My son dropped, hit his head. Uh, Cops got called, like, this is the first fist fight me and my dad have ever gotten into. And it's over me leaving with my son to go get groceries and file for food stamps and all this. And I'm just like, I'm going to go do something like responsible, even though I don't have a driver's license, but I got, I have to take care of. Were you loaded of.
2: at that point, though? No. Would, had you been using kind of consistently, though? Yeah. So your dad, I mean, he probably had a pretty,
1: my he dad, was thinking you might be Yeah. going to
2: get loaded and had probably some pretty decent reason to think so. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So he's, like, got pretty good reason to think so. And then on the other hand, you're like, no, dude, for real. I'm trying to go do these things. (sighs) Yeah. So you both are just super irritated.
1: Yep. Yeah. So my dad, like, I locked my son in the Jeep to go grab some clothes and stuff. Like, he was throwing me out at that point. He calls the cops and tells them I'm trying to leave with no driver's license or insurance with my son in the car. Sure. So the cops show up and... They tell my dad, like, they're like, you can't assault her when her son is in her arms. Like, you just endangered the life of that baby, and this is not okay. Like, we understand your valid point. She doesn't have a driver's license and no insurance, but she's the mom. You can't take her son from her. It doesn't matter if you're the grandparent. My dad got arrested, and the cops they called the sergeant out and the sergeant followed me in my vehicle to my buddy's house that was a severe alcoholic and the cops made sure that i had the vehicle my kid and whatever else i needed and yeah so i called
2: you probably knew going to this guy's house like "Hmm, this is bad news but i don't have a this is all i can think of right now
1: right right anywhere else there was like high traffic of meth or heroin or anything else i mean this guy was just a laid-back drunk, like...
0: He the lesser of all the evils. Yeah,
1: yeah, pretty much. I mean, he just, he'd just get so drunk, he'd pass out. Like, that's all he'd do. He'd just drink and pass out. And I was just like, well... I was like, don't have to be around anybody stupid or, you know, not entirely. So, but the... Over the years, like, having so many problems with my foster brothers, the troopers were pretty well adjusted to my family and my situation. So they would always, every day, a cop would stop in and check on me, a state trooper. And uh, I had this relationship, like a good friendship with this one trooper, and he'd stop and check on me every day. He used to pick me up when he'd see me walking to school and stuff, and he'd drop me off at home. He was taking me to go grocery shopping here and there. when he knew that me and my son got kicked out, he actually went grocery shopping for me and dropped off more than three hundred dollars in groceries. And he contacted a lady that worked for um, Fishing and Game, and she went and bought me two fifty-pound bags of dog food for my dog. And they stopped in routinely. They uh, cops would always stop every day, pick my son up for school, bring him to school, and then he'd ride the bus back. Wow.
2: Um, I don't even know cops did that. No, that's pretty
1: cool. Yeah, not not usually. Sure. Anyways, it kind of sucked because that that state trooper, um, he was the only one stationed in Anilchik for years, and uh, he always had like no tolerance for this one particular family of alcoholics that would always drive drunk. So he was always trying to watch out. You know, he'd always pull them over while well, they kept filing harassment charges on him. So he had to. He was deployed to another part in the state without losing his job, so he had to transfer somewhere else. And so, you know, that kind of ended. Now he's in Fairbanks, and I see him every now and then when I go there, say hi. But, um, so I end up calling a girlfriend um, who used to live here in Soldotna. Um, Her and her husband got divorced, so she moved to Nikiski, with her kids, and they were doing visitation and all this. I called her, told her what was going on. Like, told her, um, at this point, I just found out that I was diagnosed with, um, like I got really sick one day, super sick. I started taking Tylenol around the clock. Every time I woke up, I was in so much pain. I took a thousand milligrams every two hours just to go back to sleep. And I did this for about six days straight. Well, <clears throat> my, uh, I called my dad out of the blue, and I was it's like... It's a little tough
2: on the organs.
1: Yeah. I called my dad out of the blue, and I'm like, something's wrong with me. Like, I feel like I'm dying. Something is not right. So my dad came over. He saw me, and he just kept coming over every day, seeing how I was, how I looked. And by the sixth day, he was like, nah. He just picked me up, put me in the truck, took me to the clinic. Well, they started running tests and everything, and they found out that I had uh, Hep C. Oh at that point, and it was uh, genotype A1, whatever. It's like the most serious geno there is. There was like no cure for it, and it just like... So basically what they found was I was going through multiple organ failure. I had Hep C, and when um, when I overdid the Tylenol, that's what shut down my liver. Mm -hmm. My kidneys started Mm -hmm. shutting down. Um, Like, my sides were completely black, blue, and purple from all my kidneys and my liver shutting down. Um, My hair was just like straw. Mm -hmm. There was, like, no nutrients in it. I was completely white and as native as I am. I should not be white (laughs) at all. Uh, So... They put me on um, an IV drip, uh, put me on antibiotics, and they kept me there for about 12 hours. They requested that Anchorage uh, fast ship down some medications and I ended up taking like three handfuls of pills all at once and then uh, they kept me there for about half hour, saw that I wasn't rejecting any of the medications and sent me home. Um, so at this time my dad let me back into the house, uh, he was taking care of my son and my dad was constantly making me soup, trying to make me drink. I couldn't move, get out of bed. And then my girlfriend comes back out and my dad's still kind of being an ass at this time, so she picks me and my son up and we go out to her place and she's just like nursing me back to health because my dad was like mainly taking care of my son, which I was grateful for. So uh, I go and stay with her for a while and she nurses me back to health. I, She helps me get back on my feet. I get a job. Um, she took care of my son while I worked. She was an at-home mom of three and yeah. So anyways, um, I ended up meeting my daughter's dad out at her place. Um, We were partying here and there again, started partying, um, doing meth again, and uh, ended up moving in with him and his family. Um, We stayed in his parents' basement. Um, He kept uh, running out on me for his other baby mama, and I, at this point, I didn't really care. I was just like, well, whatever, like, I was happy to just have a roof over me and my son's head. All I had to do was clean, you know. in place of rent and stuff because his mom had a triple bypass done on her heart and had stents put in so I just cleaned and took care of the household while her husband worked and she was recovering. I did that for years Um, over the course of years he ended up uh, trying heroin Um, and I told him at one point like I don't care for heroin I don't want it Anywhere near me or my son and I found out that he was using it with this other chick and shit just really hit the fan. We started fighting a lot. I was bouncing back and forth between his parents and my dad's house. Like we'd make up and then break up. Make and up and break up. And your dad's gotta get like it was a suspicious again,
2: right? He's yeah. like, Okay, like kicked her out, but her back. Now she Well me and my
1: dad went through a period where yeah. we didn't talk. Like it was a it was the first feud me and my dad ever had for like nine months straight. I wouldn't let him see my, his grandson. We didn't talk like anytime we did, it was just all on hate messages. Like I had to block my dad. I had to put a restraining order on him. And finally, almost a year of not having anything to do with my dad. Um, cause my dad kept trying to file for custody of my son, um, kept trying to call OCS on me. And every time OCS would show up, I'd Tell them right at the door, you got a cup, you got a uh, waiver in your bag, give me both. I'd sign the paper, go piss in the cup, give them the cup, and told them not to show back up. Not unless you have a reason to. So. But I you were,
2: I thought you were using meth at this point.
1: I was, but I would get clean for periods of time oh, okay. and then do it again.
2: Yeah, and meth is what, a three day thing generally in the system? Three
1: days to a week, yeah. yeah.
2: So if you were been clean for, like, five, six, seven, eight days, you were good?
1: Yeah. Sure. So,
2: so you were
0: consistently using meth at this point? Not, like, like every, every day? Not, not every
2: no,
1: day. not, not every day. It was more once like... Once a week? Yeah, maybe once a week.
2: Maybe twice? Maybe. Okay.
1: Yeah. I Just mean, it wasn't very way. often. Yeah. I mean, maybe, like, one to three bowls in one day
3: mm-hmm.
1: here and there. Um, definitely not often enough, like... We were trying to stay under the radar of his parents. Sure. And living in their basement, it was a little difficult.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, lights out at a certain time. Yeah, while well, no you doing noise, all your cleaning like,
2: at 4 a.m.? Yeah,
1: yeah. Like, <laughs> you're not supposed we to look like... We know you're asking
2: you to clean for rent, but man, at 4? Yeah, right? If
1: you <laughs> yeah, could right?
0: vacuum the drapes at 6, that'd be
1: great.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> Dirt, dang it, there it is. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, Um At times, the house would be completely (laughs) spotless. Like, I didn't have a job or anything. I'm just cleaning house, and her husband started buying us packs of cigarettes as an allowance for cleaning so well. You know, so (laughs) it was uh, really interesting. It was like that for over a year. Um, But about two years into our relationship, that's when we really started. I'm bouncing back and forth between my dads. Um, Because once he started using heroin, it, it was like an emotional roller coaster. Like, he liked me. He hated me. He loved me. He hated me. He liked me. It just was back and forth. Like, he couldn't make up his mind whether he wanted me, he didn't want me, or he loved me, he hated Like, it was insane. And half the time, I wouldn't even bring my son with me. I'd just go up there, see him, go back home. You know, and that happened for so long. Um, that was about the first time I actually thought about treatment. Um... We were living in an RV in the front of his parents' house in their driveway, and... Uh,
2: Maybe I missed something. Why weren't you in the basement anymore? Did I miss something there?
1: No, just um, there wasn't really any privacy, and his parents um, needed that space. So, um, and we wanted our own space, so we just moved into an And RV. were they kind of catching on? A little bit, yeah. Sure. Well, okay, so... <laughs> One time we snuck in a couple of his friends through the garage and the garage happens to have stairs that go right down into the basement and the other side of the basement, there's stairs that go up to the first level of the house. Well, we snuck in, some of his friends were all partying in his bedroom. Well, they broke the meth pipe on the door. And so we go up to the garage. I'm the only one that knows how to blow glass. So they're having me blow glass in his parents' garage.
2: It's so funny cuz you say that like it's Wait, like, what? like like and I'm you like... say it like it's like so crazy that you're the only one as if everybody knows how to blow glass <laughs> and I'm Dude, the only was... one that knows how to blow glass and I'm sitting here I'm like it... Dude, I don't think I know that many people that know how to blow no, glass. No, more,
1: <laughs> more people I literally know two <laughs>
0: people,
2: dude. I know two people.
1: Well, a lot of the blow people, blow the crowds that I hung yeah, around were dealers, I, and they know. all yeah. knew how to take care of themselves. Sure. Like, But they just okay. had, you but just, it just glass like glass blowing kits around? No, you, you just need a torch and a glass tube. Oh, okay. And experience. <laughs> <laughs>
3: sure. Um, okay, yeah.
1: So, like... What, do you basically just get it really hot
2: and then blow your bubble?
1: pretty much try
2: to burn your yourself melt yeah. anything
1: burn the house down yeah
2: pass out drop it on you
1: oh yeah that happened
2: at the last uh, recovery story we heard Almost. the guy was yeah. blowing glass and passed out on a big bubble i guess and passed out and dropped it oh and well that's near, what
1: happened to the rv dang near became later on infertile. like <laughs> yeah. we'll get there
3: yeah. so
1: um <laughs> i'm blowing glass in his parents garage and that was like one of my rules like that was his parents' rules. Like, when they started catching on, they were like, don't ever do that shit in our house. Like, you both will be kicked out. So I was like, okay, so I'm just like tripping. Like, I'm high and I'm tripping. I'm like, I can't believe you guys are making me do this in your parents' house. Like, this is stupid. So I, then he makes me blow two. I blow two. One breaks in the garage. And I'm like, you had me do this, I'm not cleaning it up. Well, he's like, well, I already got one and I don't I don't need the other one, so whatever. So him and his buddy just take off. I'm like, okay, Into whatever. in that bedroom or out of they the house? Just, they just left. Left in his vehicle and they left the broken pipe in his stepdad's garage on the ground. Didn't even clean it up. I went to bed. I was just like, whatever. I'm like, you're you going to get bed, in trouble for this. But weren't
2: you pretty loaded? Oh, you went to your bedroom.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I went to lay down. Like, I started coming down at that point. Huh. Um, they took off with the pipe, left the broken one in there, and then, uh, they blamed it on me. They said that, oh, I'm such, uh, such a big meth head that I couldn't help but go into the garage and make my own pipe, and I was gonna do meth secretly, and him and his buddy blamed it all on me, like, I'm like, I don't even, I don't have any meth on me. They were making me blow them a pipe, like, or, okay, so... (laughs) My boyfriend was, like, trying to blackmail me, like, if you don't blow me this pipe, I'm going to get you kicked out for being a meth head type deal. Like, I'm going to just throw you under the bus with my parents and you and your son won't have any place to live. So I'm just like, oh, my God, you're such a So I blow them a pipe, and then he was getting pissed off at me because I'm not blowing fast enough, so that's when the first one broke. I was like, you want to like, you really want to make me do this? I don't have to do this. Y'all don't know what you're doing, you know. So they started treating me a little better, so I blowed them the second one and they left. I go to bed. Um, After that, like, his parents were like, okay, y'all can get out of the house. Like, so we moved into the RV. Things started going okay, except he's like, whenever I wasn't there, he was bringing over random girls. Like, there was a time where he kicked me out for a 16 year old. So stupid. So I was like, whatever. Um, anyways, long story short, I go to jail for DV, and then a month later, he goes to jail for a DV, OCS steps in. So, I try treatment for the first time. I come into treatment, At Serenity House? Yep, here at Serenity House. How many years ago? Three. Okay. Now?
2: Yeah.
1: Two. Maybe two and a half years ago. So... It didn't work. I um, made it into residential treatment for about 11 days, and I got kicked out. Why? Because um, my boyfriend kept calling the house and calling. Like, he'd hit redial when I'd go to call uh, during my phone call hours at the house. Um, I'd be able to call out, call family. Well, he hit redial, and he just kept calling, calling, like, and he'd be high, and he'd be he was threatening to show up with a shotgun and shoot anybody if they wouldn't let him talk to me. Um, he started calling the uh, intake office and threatening to come in and just create a bunch of mayhem and chaos if he couldn't see me or talk to me. And I'm in my blackout period for the first time. What are week. they telling you? You need to call like, quit
2: calling this guy and you keep calling him?
1: Nope. Like, yeah. it It didn't start happening until three days after my phone calls started. Okay. So, like, I'm day week, nine right? in treatment, blackout is for one week, yeah. seven days. You can't talk to anybody. Yeah. And so, like, nine days into it, I get kicked out, like, two and a half, three days later for the safety of everybody in residential treatment and for everybody in the program. Uh, I got brought here to the intake office. And so the administrator, Dr. Sellers, was trying to come up with an idea um, with the other counselors like what to do with me like I'm trying to get my kids back I want to get clean but this part of my life is making it hard to allow it to happen so um, they want to ship me off to Juno, and then just the thought of like going to Juno, like I don't know anybody like I don't know how it's gonna be down there I haven't heard Anything all that great about Juno. Like, there's just as much crap that goes on in Juno than there is here. And shipping me off to another treatment center may not have even helped my scenario just because I'm going to be running away from all my problems here that I'm going to have to face when I come back. And I may not know how to. And if I don't complete treatment in Juno, I'm stuck down there and have to find my own way back. So. And the judge court ordered me to remain in town to keep a constant schedule visitation with my children because my daughter at the time was four months old when she got taken. My son was seven. Um, So I was like kind of stuck between another rock and a hard place. I either leave for treatment, leave my kids. I don't see them. My daughter doesn't know who I am. And my son thinks I abandoned him. So I ended up getting kicked out of treatment altogether. Um, I stayed clean. I was clean for four months by the time I got accepted into Serenity House. When I got kicked out, I stayed clean for about nine months. So I stayed clean for like four months after I got kicked out of Serenity House. I went to meetings every day. Um, I had a sponsor. I started doing the whole thing and then... Um, every time I felt like I was getting somewhere with OCS and treatment, like I went to Sakata. um, Cicada didn't help whatsoever. There were more people in the groups doing drugs there than there were at with Serenity House. Like, it's just not allowed at Serenity. Totally different, uh, approach to treatment. So it, it, I ended up relapsing, um, on meth, uh, I ended up failing Cicada. They kept trying to up my groups and get me to be there more often, spend more time in groups, and it just wasn't working. I ended up um, failing my UAs routinely, quite routinely, for like six, seven, eight months. Um, they used to pull UAs on me like twice a week, and I was failing them for months on end. Uh, finally, I... Um, when I just got to a point where I couldn't get out of bed anymore, like there was just no point in trying. Um, lost my kids. I didn't even care to party. I just stayed in bed. like I was just so depressed. Um, that's when I decided I really wanted to like my I saw my relationship going nowhere. Uh, he had already found somebody else like on the side. And so I was just like, well, whatever. So I went back to my dad's, just pretty much stayed in bed, lost my kids, um, didn't really have any reason to get up or try and go to treatment because somebody was, it just wasn't gonna happen, like something would happen and I just wouldn't be able to finish. So um, I ended up, like my neighbor Like to come over and party. Like, he'd drink or he'd do meth with me every now and then, but we'd always talk about deep, deep, meaningful things like family, like where to go from here, what are we going to do. Like He'd just always come over and just, like, it'd basically be like a counseling session, really, just a free one (laughs) every now and then. And uh, so we started talking, and then uh, somewhere along the lines, he got me amped up to... Hitchhike all the way into town, get my doctor's appointments taken care of. um, uh, Because you need to do like full physicals and all this to even get ready for treatment. Um, So I I hitchhiked into Kenai and Soldotna for three days straight. Um, The second uh, day when I was walking home, a pastor from the Nilchik saw me walking and he picked me up, brought me home. He saw me walking into town the next day, brought me back in for my intake. Um, Another person in the program, when I was staying out at my dad's, he was uh, in recovery, drove carts. He always did my round-trip rides from, I think the nearest place to pick me up was Clam Gulch, and I lived in Nilchik. that's like 15, 20 miles I'd hitchhike every day just to make it to visitation for my kids so I wouldn't lose my visitation rights. Uh, I did that for like 11 months. And then um, after doing that for so long, I got tired of doing the same old thing. Like it was basically where I'm just seeing my kids for one hour a day and I'm spending all day walking, walking not nothing's changing it was just like I got to see my kids but after I after it was over life just sucked again like I didn't want to do it anymore so I started hitchhiking coming into town getting my appointments and stuff and my buddy would always come over and he'd give me these pep talks like you can continue to do this just do it and you know something's got to change it can't all be downhill so I was like all right I'm like I'll try this one last time, and if I don't get anywhere, there's just no point. Like, I'm not going to do everything I possibly can, walk my ass off, go all the way into town, risk my life freaking, you know, through whatever weather, going 40, 60 miles a day. There's just no point if I can't get anywhere. There's no change. So um, I kept showing up, and I kept calling Serenity House, like... I must've blocked their lines for a week straight because I just kept calling. Can I get in yet? Can I get in yet? Like, even if I got off the phone with them and they're like, oh, give us a day or two, I'd be like, can I get in yet? Like, I just would not stop. I was like, put me to the top of the list. I need to do this. Like, I have less than a year to get my kids back at this point. And finally, uh, within 13 days, they got me into treatment. And I was in residential treatment for 32 days and I graduated. I spent, gosh, uh, I want to say 10 months in outpatient before I relapsed. Um, I relapsed once, uh, almost got kicked out of the entire program. Came back with flying colors. Um, I had them put me back into residential treatment um, for a refresher course so my wouldn't fall off and I just went back out running. Um, They agreed with me that that was a good thing. Um, My relapse came about because, so I was put on this medication um, for major depression and anxiety. And it's one of these um, psych meds that you cannot... Miss whatsoever, like you will have withdrawal symptoms like you've never felt in your entire life.
3: Hmm.
1: Well, well, it was,
3: um, what was that like an effect sore? Um, uh, was
1: that
3: like, yeah, was that like Paxil. a, a oh. antidepressant yeah. booster? Or, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, basically, it's crazy it's, stuff about those.
1: It's, um, so it's like my happy pill and my anxiety reliever, um, hmm. all at once. It keeps sure. my depression at bay. Without it, I'm just like, uh. A zombie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Without it, um, right. there's really because I did meth for so long, my brain no longer um, produces the chemical needed to um, keep me happy.
2: Wow. Sure. Probably serotonin. Um, yes. Yeah.
1: My and brain likely.
2: No- I don't know what Paxil's, uh, but a lot of the antidepressant and uh, anxiety medications are not necessarily the anxiety. You know, those are going to be benzos likely, um, but oftentimes with uh, depression, you'll either get an SSRI, mm-hmm. which is selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, yeah. and that just lets the serotonin pool up in your brain, right? And, or you're going to get an SSNRI, which is a selective serotonin and neuroepinephrine or noroepinephrine reuptake inhibitor, which mm-hmm. is going to let that serotonin and the norepinephrine pool up. So right. I bet you were on, I don't know what PAXL is, but I bet you were on an SSNRI. Yeah. I bet.
1: My brain doesn't produce serotonin anymore, so sure. without it, I can't function as a normal human being. Right. I
2: mean, it's its critical. I'm basically
1: like a zombie with no feelings. Yeah. I can do basic things, but I will have no emotion mm-hmm. involved in anything I do. Wow. So, um, it was, gosh, this was just last December. Uh. It was about Christmas break, and I was running low on my meds. I tried to get everything fixed before Christmas break started. I went to Denina, tried getting my um, scripts written up for over the holiday um, break, and they the lady wrote the script, but she never sent it off. Mm. And I and when they send it off, they send it to A and up in Anchorage, and then. The hospital up there sends me my medications by mail, and they send me six months to a year worth by mail all the time. There isn't no pharmacy that can give me that quantity without me paying a really big copay. Mm -hmm. So they just uh, ship it to me. And she didn't send any of it off, so I'm stuck withdrawing. I went to work for four days withdrawing off of my... My psych meds. Yeah. And I finally looked at my manager and I was like, I got to go. Like, I haven't been on my meds for four days. I'm surprised I'm still functioning. Like, I was shaking. I was pooling sweat. I, I started getting sick. Like, almost wanted to my pants, puke my brains out. Like, I just was not feeling good. Yeah. She let me go. but I spent a whole week trying to get my script, like... Mm -hmm. I went to pharmacies. I even brought my empty pill bottles. I was like, look, it says three refills on it. Like, I need these pills. Like, half of them were just looking at me like, oh, you're a drug seeker, like, whatever. Um, I went to my doctor's office, they're closed. I tried calling my doctor. Like, everybody turned me down. I went Mm -hmm. to Freddy's, um, Walgreens, Walmart, Three Bears, all with my empty pill bottle. And they're like, we can't do this without your doctor sending an actual script. I was like, well, this is a damn script. Like, it was. It was filled. It says three refills, and the pharmacy I filled it at is closed for two weeks. Like, (laughs) give me a break. Like, they're like, well, if no one's there, they can't transfer that script over to us. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, this is obviously legit. It's got my name, everything. Nope, couldn't do it. So, I go to Denina.
2: So you call your dealer, you're like, yo, you got any Paxil? They're like, nah, dude, that's, like, hitting us up for birth control. Right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, you got
1: any birth control? Like, (laughs) it just so happened, like, oh, it's so messed up. So I go to the ER, Mm -hmm. and they're like, okay, what's your problem? And I'm like, I am withdrawing. So they automatically assume that I'm withdrawing off hard drugs. Well, they put me in the detox room, in the emergency room, and I'm like, no, like, I am detoxing off my psych meds like I am not feeling great and they're like well we're really glad you came in because people withdrawing this hard off of this dosage on this kind of medication most people would kill themselves because of the withdrawals and I was like yeah well I've been withdrawing for four days and they're like so why'd you have to come in here to get to get your like get a uh, refill and I'm like Look, I've been through all the proper channels. I've tried going to all the pharmacies. I've tried seeing a doctor. No doctor will take me on without looking at my medical records from my doctor's office. That's closed for the next two weeks. So best next best bet is come to the ER. I know you guys have a pharmacy here, and you'll give me what I need and write me a small script that might get me by until the office is open again. And they're like, okay. So they did that. They gave me um, one, uh, one pill um, at the max dose. I think it was like 40 milligrams because I've been off it for four days. Um, I took the pill. They gave me a script for um, three pills. That's all they could do. They couldn't even do four because it was way past the um, amount, dollar amount, basically, for what they can release um, through a pharmacy, so they gave me three pills to go get. So I went and picked them up at Walmart, and once I ran out of those, I started withdrawing again. I still had, like, five, six days before the offices opened. So at that point, I was just like, all right, well, I need to do something, like, um... So I could feel shutters in my brain. Basically what it felt like was like my blood pressure was going off the charts. Uh, I could feel every blood vein in my body just compulsing, just constricting and restricting, constricting, restricting, like really hard. My heart would pound so freaking hard. My brain felt like it was shuddering. Um, I'd get really shaky. I'd get irritable. I couldn't get up. I'd get really nauseated. I'd feel like my legs would get weightless. Um, they wouldn't work, uh, basically like sea legs without water. <laughs> so, um, I ran out and I ran into my dealer in Kenai, and I was just like, "Look, like I explained to him my medication, what it does, and then like I am without." So he just like hit you with a Xan? No, he gave me a little bit of meth, and it it didn't fix anything um it masked everything yeah oh yeah definitely it masked all of my withdrawal symptoms Mm -hmm. and i didn't feel any of them for uh, about the next three days until everything opened back up serenity house was even closed um i literally there was like nowhere i could turn to i even went to the er tried using the best with what i could and i finally went to everybody and was just like well um, I went and did a hair follicle, and I failed it. Right. Um, at that point, the judge was just like, wow. And it sucks because we...
2: you had quite a while of...
1: Like, nine, of ten months yeah. clean. Yeah. And the judge was like, well, this is your last chance to get your kids, like, don't mess up again. And she was like, I'm surprised you relapsed so late in the game, like, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then, like, so, um... My presence and treatment was being reevaluated at that point, and the situation was explained, like for what it really was. I kept trying to lie, like I didn't relapse, like I tried using other excuses um, to cover up the fact that I relapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, like
2: and they're like, well, we have ran the results, and we have determined that is a lie. Lie, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I was like, no, like they ran the results three times. Yeah. Because I was like, I didn't use like it must have gotten that beacon. Like yeah. you know, so many people go in there, like, oh man, I was so like milking it big time. Like I did not want to lose my kids. Like I worked really hard for that ten months and I fed it up. Yeah. So I was like, okay, fine, like I finally confessed like everything. Um they looked into it and it turned out that, you know, I wasn't on my meds, like Like, I finally broke out and told them everything. So they stuck me back in-house. I stayed in-house for about 14 days, I think. Um, And I was, like, house leader in residential uh, because at that point in time, I was looked at as having the most clean time being back in-house with all the newcomers. (coughs) So I was to basically... Uh, show them responsibilities of how to be in the house, um, how to react at meetings, uh, how not to react and respond, and help them with uh, any assignments that were given in the house. So I graduated again from residential treatment, went to outpatient, and I discussed with my counselor that I wanted to be on a very strict um, outpatient regimen. Uh, So I was going, I went to every single group they had to offer. Um, I moved into their, the transitional living home for women, um, and I paid $200 in rent a month when I could. Um, I helped try to provide groceries. Um, it gave me my own space, uh, gave me a place to have visitations with my children once I was able to um, gain access to having unsupervised visits uh serenity house let me do my visitations in their group room whenever it was open with my kids um yeah i just uh went to every single group that they had to offer um i did all the other exercise group activities they had kai chi do yoga whatever was available i just stayed busy
2: so when we do these uh when we do these recovery stories one of the things we like to you know hear is kind of uh, you know, especially people that kind of gave it a go, you know, gave cleaning up a go and then kind of had to try again, you know, Mm -hmm. it sounded like this time you said, I said, I want a strict outpatient regimen. Is that one of the things you realize? Like, okay, I do the in-house thing. Like, there's a lot of structure there, but when I get out, like, I can't go from all this structure to no structure or right. having to create all of that by myself. I There need, was no yeah. way
1: I could have created right. that by I mean, myself. That's hard, right? I explained the situation to all the counselors in the house. I'm from the nail with no vehicle. Like I can't do outpatient and I ain't walking every day. I did that to get in here and in the nail chick,
2: like you have this environment and all these other
1: Influences. All these other kind of
2: triggers, I guess, so to speak, yeah. that are like, oh, when this happened in this, like, when this used to happen in this house, like, I used to go do meth. When this used to happen, I used to go do this, like, negative coping mechanism, negative coping mechanism, and you're just yep. like, I can't go back there. One of the some solid strict structure.
1: rules with my counselor was I couldn't have any, any communication or contact with my daughter's dad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Because of the chaotic relationship we had the first time and the second time I was in treatment Um, he was you know good part of why I got kicked out the first time so there was a restraining order against him from hospital property after um, trying treatment again trying to make things work um, the administrator herself decided to take on Uh, me and him, for um, uh, couples counseling, and she dropped the restraining order, and, you know, allowing him to be a part of seeing my recovery, monkey see, might monkey do, and it started bringing him into the process of recovery, and it's been really hard, like, he'd he'd get clean for a while and then he'd relapse like it was Yeah, let's
2: talk about this cuz it seems like and I know you are so it's kind of redundant but there's got to be, you know, there's got to be many 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 people who are using for years with mm-hmm. somebody and then they kind of together say like let's get cleaned up or maybe one's like one gets cleaned up and one doesn't.
1: That So what was yeah. that
2: process like?
1: it was extremely difficult because um, the first time I went to treatment he was absolutely against it he's like I'm never gonna go like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll take the easy route out and just stop for a little bit and graduate Cicada like no-brainer well i I go to treatment and I was really mad at him for getting me kicked out I was like you know I still love you but I do not like you right now like don't even talk to me the whole way home I was just like don't just whatever (laughs) i was so pissed um and his mom agreed with me at that point um so i tried talking him into it we were going to groups um going to meetings all the time um we'd try the cicada groups uh every now and then i would show up and i just wait out in the vehicle for him um we'd both go sometimes uh Finally, we go to court one day, the judge orders us to complete inpatient treatment. We both have to. It is a must. If we don't get accepted within 90 days. Um, but you already had it sounded like. I, I started to, yeah. I was um, waiting at that point in time. Hmm. So we're like going back a little bit. So oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, okay. So we're
1: waiting. Okay. Uh, I'm waiting on, I'm like on the waiting list. It took me 13 days to get into treatment the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I helped him. His biggest issue, uh, he's slightly autistic, so he has a hard time. Um, he's ADD, like, to the max, right? So he could do meth, and he'd just be, like, completely calm and normal. So <laughs> it, was, it was really interesting because <clears throat> when he started going to Cicada and everything, like, and the judge was just like, you guys have to complete residential or it's you know it's not gonna happen and we were both under the impression like for in the beginning oh we could just like at first I was like serenity house it's like the the least amount of time in residential treatment before you graduate like this will be a breeze right well um not the case no not whatsoever. The second time I went into treatment, I find out after I graduate, s- yeah. you have to complete outpatient. And that's oh, one year. Okay. Wow. One whole year of outpatient after you graduate residential. Something they fail to tell you when you have to do treatment. <laughs> so woo, talk about mind blown. Well, uh, ended up getting um, a Mick. Is it a Mick? Mick one uh, drug charge. He got pulled oh. over with a, with his dealer one night, and I refused to go because I had this bad feeling something was going to happen or go extremely wrong. The headlights were f- up on the car. We were high. I was just like, nope, not having it. I'm going to stay home where it's safe, where there's, like, three bags of dope. It's fine, you know. I'm just going to get loaded before I go to treatment, I'm just waiting for the call. And uh, so... Another thing was I was, I had a clean UA when I came in to do my intake, so it made my waiting a little longer to get put in. Dude,
2: I was just thinking of that. Okay, so there's this my favorite movie. I forget. I know it's crazy. I say it's my favorite movie, and then I forget the title, but it has one of my favorite actors in it, Jesse Eisenberg. And essentially what it is is I think it's called... uh, I think it's called... Dude, I don't remember. But anyway, it's about he's like... He's a pretty smart guy, piano prodigy, prodigy. Um, and he uh, he has to take his mom, who's like unstable, longtime drug user, and she's like, "I'm going to treatment." And they and she has a daughter, so he has a younger sister, and she's like, "I'm going to treatment. I'm going to treatment." So he's like, "Heck yeah, you are! Like you're mm-hmm. going. I'm driving you." So he drives his mom to treatment. She goes in. She she pees. She's clean. He goes, uh, you know, you don't have insurance and this UA is clean. You think I'm gonna be able to argue to your insurer that you need to be here? He's like Yeah. So I can't get you in and he goes, but you know, kind of between us like if you were to come back and fail a UA, I'd get you in. And she goes, Are you are you telling me I gotta go get high? You yeah. tell me to go get high? And he's like I mean, that's that's kind of what I'm saying. And so the whole movie's about her. Like, they have to go score dope for her so she can use, so she can go get, so she can get high and so she can go back and fail yeah. this UA. That's basically that what I was like told. But that sounds like what's happening. Yeah. yeah. They're wow. like,
1: well, you have a clean UA, so it's going to take a while longer to get you in. And I'm like, are you telling me I have to go relapse and come back? And they, off the record, yeah, okay. So, I'm just getting loaded while I'm waiting in Kenai, and I'm like, all right. So, I'm like, okay. Well, I can't make it into Soldotna, so why don't I just go to Sakata? Go to OCS, tell them to slap me with the UA at the nearest treatment center, have me fail it, and have them fax all that crap to OCS, and OCS fax the crap to here. And yeah, I was able to get in. Wow. Um, yeah, it was quite interesting so the judge ordered us both to um, complete residential treatment so he was sent off to SARC in Anchorage um, because of his drug charge uh, he had to do minimum of 90 days um, inpatient residential treatment in order to not go to jail for was it six to nine months for a drug charge so he went to Sark for the minimum of 90 days, got kicked out on his 91 day there for hiding a cell phone. And, um, yeah, he got sent back down here uh, for about three months. He relapsed, got clean, relapsed, got clean. Finally, he went back to Sakata and really started just trying to maintain sobriety at Sakata. He just upped all his groups and everything, and the whole time I got into treatment and I just did it here. Yeah. So today he has um, about 10 months clean, and today I have just over one year.
2: Wow. Awesome. Congrats. Congrats. Yeah. So you completed inpatient and then you went to transitional living? Or was yes. that okay?
1: I was there for... The funny part is, is when I came back the second time and I had to fail my UA to get into treatment, it was exactly one year later from the day I got accepted to come the first time. One year to the day when I came back asking for help. Um, Dr. Sellers didn't want to allow me back into the program. She wanted to, um, they wanted me to write a letter. The first time I wrote a letter, it basically and it's so weird because we saved the letters and I read them later. Uh, so my first letter, after I got kicked out of treatment the first time, I was like, okay, she wanted me to write a three-page letter as to why I need to be in treatment. So my first letter basically just stipulates what I want, what I need, and I've got to have it now. A year later, I'm stuck, I'm broken, I've got hep C, which I am cured of now. Um, because of treatment. Um, you had to be clean for so long before you can even try uh, certain drug trials for the cure of hep um, because they want to know that, you know, the insurer isn't going to waste their money on somebody who's just going to go back out and get hep again. Like, there's just no point. So the second letter I wrote stipulated um, where my health was one year later. And I'm I'm like... I applied one year ago. Um, I was in treatment for a little while, got kicked out due to a relationship that was completely unhealthy. This is where I'm at today. Um, I want my son to be able to have his mom when he gets older. I want to be able to watch him. I want to be able to say that I am a mom that came back from addiction and turned everything around. I explained how I did have a heart murmur. Uh, My heart's enlarged. My lower left ventricle to my heart does not enlarge. When your heart enlarges, none of your blood vessels or veins go with it. So I, my heart leaks blood um, through the lower left ventricle. Um, I do have an irregular heartbeat that I do have to take medication for. I have to take um, baby aspirin as well, so I'm not prone to heart attacks. Um, let's see. Uh, I explained where my life is at with OCS, where my children are, how long they've been gone, and how long I've been on this road, and how I don't want it anymore. And I begged Serenity House to let me back into the program.
2: So it sounded like that first letter was kind of like, I need this for me, this is what I need for me, and I need it now. And the second time is like, "The I need this, for these people, like these people need me, therefore like I kinda need to be healthy.
1: Yeah, like look what I did to myself. This is where I put myself and I was completely okay with it. I'm not okay with this anymore. Like for the first time I'm seeing my life through someone else's eyes and I'm trying to imagine it through the eyes of my children at this point. Um, My children got to see me high during some visitations it was not okay, um, I had, there was uh, a lot of health issues that I was having, um, there were times where I also couldn't get out of bed because it hurt too much, um, I couldn't even get up to go to the bathroom sometimes, doctors told me that if I kept, uh, drinking or doing drugs, like, my organs are just gonna shut down. Then there's no coming back from that. They're, like, transplants are not uh, something that they can just do overnight or even in a month. Like, um, it is not anything that is realistic to even look at. Especially for um, a drug user of 13 plus years.
2: So, when you... Uh So after you got um, out of transitional living, what did your recovery look like?
1: Uh, What were some of the key moves um, you made, you feel like? By the time, like, all right, so uh, Serenity House was beginning to lose their grant funding to even have the women's transitional living home and the men's transitional living home, um, where they placed people that didn't have safe environments to go to after they graduated from residential treatment. So they were running out of their funding and I was so close to getting an apartment. I've waited 90 days to get my own apartment. I saved up money from two jobs that I had over the summer. I did volunteer work constantly around the clock, full eight-hour days just helping out in the community, uh, Bishop's Attic or other thrift stores in town. So I finally got a call about my apartment and I needed $1,000 down on low-income housing. And so I called my grandma. I had about six, $700 already saved up. So my grandma sent me $650. And as soon as I got into the apartment, Serenity House, like, kept, they, Serenity House itself paid the bills for one whole week, week and a half, almost two weeks for my paperwork to go through, for the down payment on the place to go through. Like, it took almost 14 days. I think it was the 13th day that I moved out. Serenity House paid the bills out of their own pocket to keep that house up, so I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be kicked out on the streets. Neither would the other girls. Um, It kind of gave us all an advantage on being better prepared for that house to shut down. And I moved into the apartment, kept my job. I pay my bills always a month ahead of time. Um, I'm right now building my credit as much as I can. I'm trying to get a vehicle right now. Um, I have my children full time. Uh, I do home visits with OCS um, where they come by, check the place out, see how the kids are doing. Um, and this November I am to be awarded uh, custody of my children.
0: Wow. Nice. that's. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, that's incredible. How's that yeah. feel? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Feels
1: feels really great. It's kind of nice because my kids, they were getting tired of, like it was always a new transition, going back and forth between the foster parents, my place, grandparents. Like, lots of fights with foster parents, with other people. Just like, it was really hard.
2: Just want to be settled. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Today, uh, your recovery sounds like you work a lot. I know you're work. You had been working two jobs, and now you're working a lot. Uh, still, as far as investing in recovery, what does that look like?
1: Uh, I go to meetings. I try to make at least one a week. I um, we know it
2: sounds like it does obviously evolve. You know, yes. It sounds like people right out of the gates. You know.
1: In every day, all
2: day, every day kind of stuff. And then yep. eventually you start picking up more. You start taking on more and more of life outside of, like, directly engaging yes. in these things. And so. That's so now, exactly how do you it have started a out.
1: Yes, I do. Did she you get a works. sponsor pretty early? Yes. My first sponsor, um, I've gone through two sponsors. Sure. My first one, this I let go. This is your third? This is my second.
2: Oh, okay, okay. Yep.
1: My first one I let go about five, six months into it because she only worked a set of three steps with me and then stopped and started having um, recovery issues of her own. Mm -hmm. Um, Just behaviors, behavior issues that I didn't want to fall into Mm -hmm. making a habit. So I let her go. And I found another sponsor who works with Serenity House. Is uh, she's actually an employee with sure. Serenity House, and uh, we've been we've become very close over the whole year and a half. Um, I processed my whole first set of steps with her, and I'm starting a different kind of steps outside of NA. Um, it's a different twelve step program. So I'm doing uh, different recovery methods at this point in my life as I'm having different uh, things that
2: different, you different different problems
1: yeah. that different things to process. Yeah. So, so the beginning my first year, a lot of it had to do with overcoming the emotional roller coaster of, you know, being chemically dependent on something for so long. Now this year, I am focusing on uh, different life problems that I never got to face before. Right. That are quite different, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, but a lot easier to manage and deal with than the ones I had the first year in or recovery. Or at least,
2: yeah, or at least now, like when you have these problems, you have you don't also have the problem of an overwhelming. Constant drug addiction. Right. You know you can actually deal with them. Yes. You know despite being hard and complicated, you can actually approach them. Yes. It seems like.
1: Most definitely, I spend more time dealing with my issues than ignoring them anymore.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, before we go, what are maybe uh, you know looking back like into your uh, recovery process? What are maybe you know a few s- things that you might recommend to people who are maybe looking to get into recovery or maybe just getting started or maybe have been there in a while and are just struggling like what are like some things that you would recommend or that worked for you you know or like maybe that didn't work for you and that you would try something different
1: um the biggest thing for me was trying to get over my anxiety sure. Uh some sometimes it's just so overwhelming it's hard to get out of your shell Um, Picking up the phone and asking for help in general is the biggest step towards making a difference.
0: We've heard that very often. In almost every story so far, that's been the biggest thing is just taking that first step. Once you take that first step, well, I mean, it's actually like, it's honestly more of a second step, it seems like, because a lot of the stories that we've heard aren't, aren't first time, like, oh yeah, I went, I got in, it well went great. You know, I've been out this long now. A lot of it is I went to treatment the first time. We've had a couple people that have got kicked out or one time they made it all the way through and just didn't work, you know? So it's like they ask for help once, but they're not, or they're forced to get help, you know, mm-hmm. uh, through whatever, whatever system it may be. But it's like when you finally really, really want to get clean, you took that first step, didn't really work. And that's going to make that first step harder again when it doesn't work the first time, I would imagine. Yeah and so I mean it's like that first step fail then you really really gotta want it now and you gotta take that first step again like and right. you gotta call the same people that watched you fail the first time right like, that's I would imagine extremely humbling but it's got to be almost fulfilling as well just when it's finally over and you're like man I, I did a lot for myself like that's
1: yep it's
0: got to be pretty amazing
1: that it is um, another one is saying yes or no when it's appropriate, you know, got you gotta get accept, some boundaries. Yeah, accept some sure. sort of responsibility to know what would be best um, for you, yourself, your family, your friends. Um, just being able to say yes, I need help, and be able to say no if it's an unhealthy. You know, um, my biggest thing was picking up that phone and. Talking to anybody, uh, that was really hard for me. Calling treatment and saying, hey, I need treatment, was really hard. Um, Not knowing where to go, what to do, who to talk to, to even get the ball rolling was really difficult. Like, I've never done this before. Like, how does this happen? I'm not being forced to do it. I'm being asked to do it willingly. Like, I had absolutely no idea where to go. I saw a brochure with Serenity House on it. All it showed was the residential house, and I'm like, where do I go? Like, there was, like, I had no idea, you know? And it was actually one of my friends that, um, with carts, that he was like, you know what? Rather than driving you straight home, I'm going to drive you by the intake office so you know exactly where it's at and you know where to go when you come here next. And he drove me here, showed me where it was at, and from then on I kept trying to get in. So. so it
2: sounds like really uh maybe not necessarily that first step in all of its you know totality, but some some level of recognition of how I'm managing my life now isn't quite working.
1: So there was unmanageable,
2: no managing. somewhat <laughs> unmanageable I need help like I can't do this myself kind of thing.
1: I um, felt like so my counselor asked me what part of my life was so unbearable that made me want to get into recovery. And I said, you know how people f- say that they feel stagnant, like they're not going anywhere. They're just stuck in one spot in their life. I told her, I'm like, I wasn't stagnant. I was glued.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I was super glued. Yeah. Um, just stuck, stationary. Nothing was changing. And not for better or for worse, it was just the same every day. And it was really ridiculous. Like I couldn't stand it anymore. I couldn't stand myself. I couldn't stand like how my children would view me, how hopeless I must've seemed to my dad or my grandmother that lived across the way. Like it was, Life to me seemed very demeaning. Yeah.
2: So, guys, for all those listeners out there who are looking to uh, get into recovery or just need somebody to talk to, a good resource is going to be the Serenity Serenity House Serenity Intake Office, is off of uh, Brinkley Street dang it yeah oh okay, yes. okay okay so my brother has yes. been calling it so am so excited <laughs> aaron has been calling this all you guys who Ooh. are listening I
3: thought aaron, you were me. aaron has been purpose. calling
2: binkley street brinkley like for like the last week and now i've been making fun of him well for like last month and i've been making fun of him for the last couple weeks uh uh brinkley and then the other day we were talking in the car about uh, it's like a flatbed trailer, and he called it a flatbread. And I'm like, <laughs> man, yeah. between the flatbread trailer on Brinkley Street, we got a lot of we're got we're set. So Jeez. no, Serenity Intake is on Binkley Street in Soldotna. Uh, you can call as well, or you can uh, look online for Serenity, Serenity House, Serenity Intake. Uh, so thank you so much, Lauren, for all of your story and. We, uh, we look forward to uh, he's watching more of your progression and hearing more uh, stories as we go along. Thank you. Thank you. This is you and I for the Kenai.